What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, episode 54. Um, here as usual. Oh, Joseph's back. What up? The fucking professor is back. He had yeah. a fucking wedding he was at last week, and now he is back here with us. I feel so much safer now. Um, <laughs> Keep us in line. The rest of the resident homies, Joel and Casey. What up, y'all? Thanks for being here again. Uh, thanks to all the new listeners, all the subscribers, all the community. I fucking love all you guys and girls. Um, fucking what else, dude? We got fucking uh, CaliDeath.com. We got fucking all the Instagram, the fucking all that shit. So check us out all there. Um, if you haven't subscribed and you're watching this shit, please just hit that fucking subscribe button, dude. We That, that shit makes us feel good. Um, today... This Thursday, we got a fucking legend in my and probably my resident homies as well. Eyes, a uh, guy that we fucking looked up to for a long fucking time. Uh, you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of fucking death metal drummers for me. Uh, today, we got the fucking infamous Tim Young, dude. What's going on, Tim? How's it going, guys? How's it going, everybody? Great, cool. dude. What's up, man? It's awesome to fucking have you on here. Um, you're you're part of. A lot of great fucking albums that have influenced us throughout the years. And, uh, you know, you played on And Time Begins, which is a, just a fucking monumental, uh, pivotal record for California death metal. So it fits nice with this podcast. And, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. dude, thank you so much again for being here. And yeah, time. thanks for having me. Yeah, this is my first to uh, anyone that that, that uh, doesn't know this is my first podcast. So, um, you guys are very helpful helping me set this all up here and uh, this is really cool. This is exciting. So um, I'm looking forward to doing some Q&A with uh, some of the fan questions and then just shooting the shit. We'll talk some drums. Totally, dude. Whatever else. Whatever, dude. Whatever comes up. I mean, we tend to get into the weeds with shit. We just go along for the ride, dude. And uh, but how we, you know, start this thing out is we, you know, we like our guests to take us back in time, throw us in the fucking DeLorean, hit that that fucking date back to fucking six years old. Are you, are you, you saying when time begins? <laughs> take us sorry, back sorry, to when sorry. time begins, dude, and fucking <laughs> when Tim and begins. tell us like, uh, no, no you know, go for it. No pun intended with that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, but yeah, tell us like, uh, you know, the the when music became like a, a you know like it sparked an interest when you know what made you decide to play music if it wasn't drums what was your first instrument what were well, your I really parents playing think, i really think that everyone that plays an instrument or anything that they do in life i mean generally people just have this unexplainable um draw towards it like a weird maybe a natural magnetic draw i i always liked music so um, ever since an early age, I remember I discovered Kiss and I had a babysitter that um, when I was like three or four, she had a bunch of Kiss records and I was obsessed with Kiss, especially Gene. I just I loved his character. And uh, I remember just playing that stuff religiously. Like, and I had no idea, you know, you're just playing stuff. But I think it's really like when you, it's crazy when, when you're a kid or even a child, when you're young at that youthful i don't know anywhere from four to like 10 you remember and take in everything everything that you experience good or bad or just unforgettable or memorable it seems to stick with you for the rest of your life and usually paves you know a lot of later decisions that you have in your 
you know, your existence. But music to me was always something that I was just always drawn towards. My mother had guitars, so there was guitars in, in the house. And for some reason, I just wanted to play drums. And like every drummer, most of us start with pots and pans. Those are a great mm-hmm. thing. And uh, and then MTV was like kind of a fairly new concept. You know, I mean, you remember when they played music? That was yeah. pretty awesome, right? <laughs> I start so, my day with that shit, dude. Yeah, really watching like, music videos and shit. Remember that shit? Like, I remember in the morning before I go to school, they would play videos and I would see uh, White Snake or whatever. They'd play Huey Lewis or whoever was playing. They, they'd go through whatever list of the top 30 of blah, blah, blah. So I would watch that. But I think, um, you know, when you added that, you had the visual. That was something new. That was something that, you know, musicians that were inspired in the forties and fifties, they just didn't have access to, you just didn't really see that. Maybe once in a while, what would you have? Like maybe a lot late night show, Ed Sullivan or something, mm-hmm. but MTV was, was pretty breakthrough as far as having that, you know, access, to, access yeah, to had, more. Yeah. You had a visual too. So that was really mm-hmm. awesome. And drums to me was, I, it was just, again, it was just that natural magnetic draw that I was just, I think, you know, I was just born or designed to, to, to play. I can't. So really- at what age did you feel did this surface when you decided you wanted to start beating the skins? I'd say like maybe, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine. I mean, when, when I got into music, I mean, I didn't know anything about thrash and thrash metal was still pretty new. I mean, this mm-hmm. isn't like the 80s era. So I was still a kid in grade school, but I was really into music. So I remember hearing, you know, I remember the radio was the early, you know, the, early, the earliest thing I remember hearing. I remember hearing Jimi Hendrix and I remember hearing Led Zeppelin. I remember hearing, you know, I remember hearing Rush. And I remember hearing certain bands that were on the local radio station upstate New York where I, where I grew up and really being drawn to certain you know, just certain bands or certain sounds, mm-hmm. what have you, or, or whatever. And I remember, uh, I remember I really liked, uh, I remember, <laughs> and the Kiss, the Kiss stuff was before that. And then after that, I remember, I think the first cassette tape I bought was Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. That was when it first came up. That was in like 86, 87. Mm. I was in grade school. All I remember is I really liked, I remember seeing like a couple of, Bon Jovi's music videos, and I thought those were awesome. And I remember seeing Motley Crue. When I saw Motley Crue Wild Side, I was like blown away. I was like, all right, I, I that's what I want to do with my life. So I think that was the epiphany right there was when I saw Tommy Lee playing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think maybe that's why I always like to incorporate a lot of rock flair in live anthems. Theatrics, yeah. Yeah, not everybody likes that, you know. But Oh, I we think- had a blast watching it, dude. Watching you. That's play. awesome. Good deal. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because it's it's really hit or miss. People either really love it or they don't fucking understand it at all. Can I swear on here? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you yeah. Say right. Whatever the fuck you want. Bro. <laughs> oh, dude, I just, I probably so, just fucking clipped right yeah. after we were talking about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think really, um, uh, uh, like, th- I think that's really why I would incorporate a lot of that stuff with, with live the- theatrics as I grew up. like the 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 visual to me growing up was it had the same amount of impact as 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 what i was hearing with my ears so and and i always liked the larger than life persona of all the musicians i i I, 
you know, like I, Kiss was like they were the masters of, of live theatrics next mm-hmm. to Alice Cooper, who everyone kind of, you know, borrowed from. I mean, he was really the guy that started all of that. But I really like that. I, I don't think, you know, a lot of people, especially in the underground extreme metal world, it's kind of frowned upon. Well, it's gay. That's lame. Like, what's lame? That's that's cool. You're, you're, you're performing. You want to stand out a little bit on what you're doing and really deliver 200%. I really think that anyone could go up wearing sweatpants or shorts or just look like they rolled out of bed. And that's cool as well. If that's what you're about and it works for you, I'm not I'm not downing that. I just think what I wanted to do and I was trying to capture with how I played was just a little different. I had just had a little different approach. Well, with what what you're saying right now though, Tim, it it totally makes sense because the, the, the first influential, you know, musicians and acts that, that, you know, pushed you onto your path are Mm -hmm. all about, I mean, not all about, but their theatrics is a very important part of it. So Mm-hmm. You're talking about being in that four to 10 range. And then all the guys that you're idolizing don't just play their music, but they're also putting on a show. Then that's yeah. also, that is your, your image of what a, a musician is. So Absolutely. of course yeah. that would be a part of what you're doing too. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I didn't really set out to be an extreme metal drummer. That's just kind of how it happened. I mm-hmm. really am first and foremost. I always like rock and roll and heavy metal. And then I just like everyone that likes extreme metal, I think that are around my age group, you just had to find the next heavier thing. It was like, yep. okay, well, what's the heavy, what's the hardest thing? I want the next level. And, and it went from there on, you know what I mean? It started down mm-hmm. here and went up here, but I think a lot of the younger kids, like any of the younger audience that's listening, you, uh, you youngins, you know, that are like, <laughs> you know, 30 or below or even in like 20 or below or like even 25, I think. I don't know where where I would start it, but I even think guys that are like 30 and younger didn't really like, you know, they grew up hearing like extreme metal. Like it was already there. Like that didn't exist. It didn't, totally. didn't exist. I, we had to dig. We had to dig a lot harder back in the day. We Absolutely. had to really want it to find it and now the internet's made it so accessible you could jump straight to cannibal corpse from the beginning you know totally yeah i mean for most of us we had to figure out you start from like you know you start with like fleetwood mac or the beatles yep. and i grew up with all the beatles stuff so i knew beatles, all the beatles. beach boys i grew up with you all know? that shit yeah dude. all that but i think and when you do that that process and you go up and you work up i think you have a different level of of acknowledgement on extreme metal. And, and I think that's what makes it a little more special is, you know, discovering and working your way up, up the steps, as opposed to just take an elevator and bam, it's right there, you know, yeah, um, it's gradual. It's more, it, it, it mm-hmm. gives it more time to marinate on your way up that. And, the, and the, just the, the adventure of it, just like the, you know, finding the bands and stuff yeah. like that, then moving genres, going up to a different genre. And you're like, Oh shit, this is kind of trippy. This is, you know, and then like, then you mm-hmm. get in that genre and then like, what's crazier, what's crazier. Like keep it's building, a, it's like chasing drugs, dude. I mean, we've probably already just said that really? recently, but it's yep. definitely a high and all these different bands and musicians and style of music are different kinds of drugs. And, and mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the combination of certain things becomes, like um okay now i'm down on this path i'm looking for this drug you know 
Like, yeah, some re- I'm down now. I'm super into fucking wind instruments, dude. And I fucking go down <laughs> deep into that fucking rabbit of course, hole. Yeah. Yeah. You find a John Zorn, and you know, it's like it, it all is like, but it it's it's also like a, a fucking killer way of life, you know, as an artist to just keep digging that. You guys out there, if you aren't digging, I mean, I'm digging as much as I can, but mm-hmm. you guys who don't have three fucking kids and jobs and all that <laughs> shit. You better be fucking digging and digging and digging, dude, because it's the yeah. access is so easy for you guys. You didn't have to go to Amoeba and go s- walk through the aisles for three hours, flipping <laughs> through every single fucking record and going well, off. The cover looked cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Everyone, artwork. Everyone's done that. Everyone's at least, you know, because I think all you guys remember vinyl, but I remember going to the record store, looking at vinyl and going, Hmm, this looks cool. There was no way to know if it was good or not. Sometimes the you album cover looked awesome and you get it and listen to it and it was total crap. Yeah, but that totally. was part of the discovering, so to speak. And 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 the, the the yeah, nowadays it's easy. You can have like a family of four and have a full-time job and you can just stream whatever you have, Pandora or whatever the In hell you find. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's 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 easier than ever, but I think part of the the adventure has been taken out. You're right on. Totally. So let's take it back though, because I want I want to get through that part where you went through all of that, and so you're you're now all right. I want to play drums. When did you get your first kit? I got my first drum set when I was twelve. Okay. Yeah, I think twelve, and I started playing in uh, in school band, like a lot of uh, a lot of. You know, I don't know about now. I don't know if they even have like music programs anymore for people. But. They do at the the high school down the street for me. They do because I actually driving on the way to work. I'll see them. You know, playing with their shit outside right now because obviously you know mm-hmm. it, it's hard to get everybody in. See some kid but. walking around with a fucking tuba. <laughs> yeah, or like the big ass drum <laughs> and just dude just standing there. It's like seven thirty in the morning. Like, imagine being a high school kid. Like, fuck, dude, I had to fucking get up at six thirty. Here I am at seven thirty, a half an hour before school works. I'm just fucking hitting the fucking drum while this I was there at seven seven a.m. Yeah, that's yeah. early. Well, that, you know, I, to, I remember I had to get up early for symphonic uh, symphonic band, and it was yeah. like six a.m. And I'd get up and I'd fall asleep eating my cereal and I'd missed the bus. (laughs) And so I had to like, I had to stop. My mom would be like, you missed your bus again. And I, I I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get up early. So I had to stop, but um, I started that with a practice pad and I learned all of all of my rudiments. So when I, excuse me, when I, when I transitioned in from the, from the practice pad to the drum set, I already knew basic rudiments and, um, and I could apply those. So it was cool. It was really, and then, you know, I just used my hands and tapped a lot of the times or pots and pans. But yeah, 12 is when I got the drum set. And um, that was really cool because I was, you know, they, they, you're there, you actually have, you're able to actually have a crash symbol and you don't have to make believe in your head that the top lid to mom's, you know, uh, soup pot is your crash or your ride. You actually have a ride symbol. So that was kind of that was kind of really really cool. It was awesome, and 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 yeah, it was it was fantastic. Those were those were great times, you know. It was it kept me out of a lot of trouble as well. Hell yeah, dude! I think that did it for a lot of us that started playing music in high school and shit. I feel the same way, mm-hmm. dude. I I definitely stayed out of trouble because I was 
you know, dealing with music and bands and stuff while I was in high school. So that's a perfect segue. I want to know about like getting into high school. You're starting to realize that you're fucking, what are you playing? Uh, Are you just learning covers and shit at the time? I'd learned covers with like a friend of mine lived down the street, a friend, (laughs) buddy of mine, Aaron Graff. He had a guitar. So he would bring his guitar over and he had like a, like a cheap Dean guitar and a gorilla amp. I remember it was like a little tiny ass gorilla amp and we would jam and play uh, for whom the bell tolls. And I would do that. And I jammed with some other friends over the years. And I had a band that uh, was like, it was almost kind of like grindcore punkish. And there was no real, there was only a few songs that were actually structured. We would just jam, but we'd do backyard parties a lot. This is when I was like 12, 13. So I was gigging when I was 12, 13. Nice. Um, and then I got into high school or like middle school and I started jamming with a couple other kids from like a couple uh, cities or towns over. And it was my first band. It was called Windbreed. And I guess that was the first band that I actually gigged and recorded and did a demo with and we wrote songs and we would do, I mean, we played in Utica and Binghamton and Buffalo and uh, Syracuse. We played a lot with, uh, uh when Bron Daler had a band called um no Lethargy at the time and Lethargy. Bron, oh, yeah. fucking sick Bron, dude I fucking love Lethargy fucking yeah. love Lethargy bro that's funny yeah, yeah. yeah it's a small world man and and the crazy thing about Bron and I is I had known him we grew up together and we're both from Rochester New York so I remember when I was a kid I would go to uh church on Sundays and at the time he, he was in church, he was involved with church with his family and we kind of knew each other from there. And then we started playing metal together and we kind of just sort of, you know, after a while we kind of got away from, as we got a little older into our teenage years, we just decided and determined what was going to work for our lives and not, but we would both gig a lot. So Lethargy and, and Winbreed, my band, we, we always, you know, we were always gigging and playing and there was a lot of good drummers too. I remember uh, Disgorged was another band and Dave Paul Ross played drums and that and he was like the top dog you know he's still an incredible player i he's such a big inspiration both of those guys to this day huge inspirations rochester had a lot of great drummers and a lot of great musicians but you know just like any industry if you really want to get to the next level you have to you have to leave the nest you have to go where the industry is the industry is not going to come find you in the midwest or in Paducah, Kentucky, or Rochester, New York, and give you a record deal. More than likely not. Sometimes things happen, but um, you're going to have to do some traveling or extend yourself out. So before the internet really happened, I would make VHS tapes. I made a couple VHS tapes. Me just playing drums and and, um, getting on to after, you know, jamming with that band. In high school, after the band split up, I just I couldn't find anyone that I really wanted to lock in with. I was a few other local bands after that, but it was really hard to find someone that really wanted to, you know, that was really hungry. You know, and mm-hmm. I mean hungry is someone that wanted to do it for a living, like not mm-hmm. not like a, a, a just for fun. I didn't yeah. want to do it for fun. I had too much to offer and I felt I had too much to prove. So I made these VHS tapes. Now, you know, now we have YouTube. How crazy is that? <laughs> but back in the day, I had to go and find like 15 minute VHS tapes and I had my buddy video me with a camcorder and I put them out and everybody that came to Rochester, I gave this tape. Well, one of the tapes got to Eric Rutan and that's how I got in touch with Eric to do Hate Eternal. And he was like, hey, I'm doing this band. It's a brand new band. And I knew Eric from Ripping Corp and obviously more of an angel. It was a, it was a real trip 
getting a phone call from him when I was 18 years old. I was just about to ask you that question. How old are you? And you got that call. I was fucking 18. I was like in, I had just finished high school. So, um, yeah, when I did the internal demo, that was the summer of 97 and I had just graduated high school. I had never been away from home. I had never done shit. I was like this brand new human being you know yeah. so i went there and i recorded the demo and if you guys heard the, the hate eternal three song demo yeah uh, or four song i think three or four mm-hmm. but uh alex webster played bass on it and that was cool right. um yeah it was insane to be linked up with these dudes these dudes that i was Talk watching you know when i would watch yeah. them play you know and i knew who they were so it was really cool i ended up doing the album and i did the First, Hate Eternal Conquering the Throne. I, I, I was barely 20 when we did that album. And that album was done on two-inch tape, no clicks, no real editing, just roll yeah. tape. And, hey, I hope you can nail it. I remember the first song took so like crazy. 26 takes or something like that. Mm. <laughs> yep. punching. You, we didn't, you just, you, you play it front to back and that's it. Hopefully you nail it. If not, we'll go back and do it again. It's such it a wild hard. thing to hear because that's such a pivotal album for a lot of us um conquering the throne like i mean you know you hear about the cerrito being involved and mm-hmm. and how yeah. there's the, the songs that were could have been suffo song you know riffs that you may yeah. have had for suffo and shit and then how, hearing how how it was such an influence for casey too it's just like it's so crazy to hear that you were just pulled out of high school it's like uh nfl football player just it's like lebron james or something just getting yeah, pulled yeah. out like straight in the nba <laughs> yeah. like here you go man here's the big leagues have fun i, mean, I wish i had like a quarter of the budget that that guy had but <laughs> yeah. unfortunately it's kind of like that without the money yeah 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 but symbolically but it, was, it was definitely like a, a really cool experience um at, at that age and to be involved in and i'm really 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 proud of that record and it I'm made really- all of us turn our heads dude we were all like wait what the what the fuck who's who's drumming on the- oh shit <laughs> this dude's fucking sick right <laughs> yeah yeah i was brand new man no one else had discovered me and and eric really is the one that that found me and kind of put me on the map and um See, that's the grind that I love too, dude, is that you were doing the VHS thing. Like that wouldn't have happened if you didn't have the drive that you're talking about right now. You know, if you were just like, oh, you know, I, I might do that. And then you never got to it. Like so many other mm-hmm. people who did it, that that VHS tape was the reason that got, or it was the thing that fucking pushed the door open for you, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I'll say uh, in life in general is you can, you can learn and master a, a craft. You can learn and study an entire Encyclopedia Britannica, but if you don't have the drive and the hustle, it's a novelty. You can't fake passion. You can't fake drive and you can't learn it. You either have it or you don't. And I think the important thing in life is to really have good work ethic and bust your ass. But really, if you have something that you feel is that you, you you excel remarkably at, then you need to push it because no one's going to push it for you. And it's really important. And, and I, I've seen a lot of great talented people uh, with all sorts of redeemable, remarkable, incredible skill sets that don't go anywhere because they don't apply or they don't use it or they're not hungry enough. And, and you could be the best at anything, but if you're not driven to, to, to do it or go out of your way to show the world, no one's going to know who the hell you're at. Or know who you know who you are, or where you're at, or what you're mm-hmm. about. No one mm-hmm. will. No one will know you. 
So that's a really important thing. Now with the internet, it's made things a little bit easier, but, 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 but kind of not because you'll have guys that'll uh, guys and gals that will, will put their skill set on, on the internet and YouTube and it will be good, but not everyone's cut out for doing, I don't know, 160 shows a year. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. being on the road eight nine months straight out of the year, I mean it's grueling as well. So you got to have true. That. Yeah, I mean it's like it's like right now. I'm not that like, guy, dude. Anyone can go. <laughs> anyone can, yeah, anyone can go young. viral. You know, anyone can go viral. Like you put a video up and then someone shares it, and all of a sudden, like someone famous shares it, and then boom, it's viral. Like they didn't really put in like the putting VHS tapes together and stuff like that. They didn't have the drive initially. Then people will will take them and like be like, oh, you're amazing. You're a really good drummer come join our band and then like then they hit the road with them and then they're like oh shit this guy's not cut out for the fucking road you know it's like doesn't have it yeah. you know it, it happens i mean it even have some guys that'll bust ass and they'll promote and they'll hustle and they get there and i've seen it i've seen guys crack in two or three weeks they're like i'm like oh, this dude's done like he can't <laughs> handle it and and that's fine it's not for everyone it's not like totally. oh yeah he's, he's, he's just, i mean it's it's hard and it's, it's not a lot of, it, I don't think a lot of people really understand. I mean, the people that have, that have toured, everyone that's toured knows what, it, you know, what it entails. And it's not, it's not a pretty glamorous lifestyle by any means, but that does go with it. And I think the one thing that kept me going is I just loved being on stage for that 40 minutes or hour. And, and that was worth all, all of it to me, all the sacrifice um it's a great place know, to be dude when you're on it, fucking stage and everybody's fucking in the pocket dude it's That's, it is when you think about it you're on the road for like seven eight weeks you got one hour out of every day that really really matters everything else is just kind of whatever you know that that one hour is where that's all the magic in the day so you tally that up i mean that's not a whole lot of hours in one month to be away from your family and friends and everything, but it's something that, you know, it, you either have in, in you to do or not. And it's definitely a lot mm-hmm. easier when you're younger. And, and also going back to the, the, the YouTube stuff, I, I'm not discrediting any of the younger people that have, yeah. I kill to have had YouTube and some, some of these other things in a way, in, in a way it's, it's, it's made things easier and it's also complicated things. So there's pros and cons to everything, but, um, I just, I just think there was, there was quite a few more steps to take, you know, 25 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. to do something, and, yeah. you know, even if you wanted to sell something like, do you remember, like, uh, did you guys have like a recycler or a swap sheet or something where you put shit for sale, you know, you have like a little article of whatever for sale but there's no photos and you would just drive out hopefully it was what they thought what they said it was over the phone oh yeah you're talking about buying shit yeah 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 Yeah, nowadays if someone's got a let's say i have a a really cool knife set uh whatever i can take photos of it but you know before that you just had to take someone's word that it it was what it was Mm -hmm. and you can take like macro fucking sick ass shots of it too so they can see all the details and see all the flaws and shit it used to just be a, d- a description only like it's like a classified ad going like this is what we got and yeah. you know if someone wants to sell it enough they might embellish a little bit until you get there and you're like dude this is not what mm-hmm. i thought it was going to be because there's no photos to back it up you know catfishing i mean i yeah. think what, i mean well they always had shit for like cars like you had auto trader or picture page or what what, what uh what have you when you were trying to sell an automobile you could do that and um 
funny story about um i'm getting off topic here but i'm thinking about ebay ebay was like kind of like a, a game changer in that sense that you could put anything you wanted online and and you could actually have photos and you had a whole world market ever the whole world could see it and that was pretty breakthrough i mean that, that was in like 90s right late 90s yeah late 90s bro yeah mid late definitely. 90s okay because i remember what is this ebay thing you know and it was it was mm-hmm. a really crazy con remember not knowing about e- like ebay bit me because i used to sell things on it all the time and then one uh one day they're like oh you owe us all this money because we've been selling stuff on there and i'm like well i don't have any money i'm a kid like you know, like <laughs> and they're like and they're just like all right we'll shut down they shut down my whole account because they I, I, oh, percentage of it or something like that i forget what it was but there was so like, they were taking it out automatically like they do now you know, no, no. Like back then, there was like I was like fucking like sixteen, seventeen you had your selling eBay guitar bill heads. at the end of the month. Uh, yeah, I, right, yeah, yeah. They, did, they did do that, and now yep. they take it out of your account or your PayPal now. So they're like, well, mm-hmm. we'll just go ahead and take this. So, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But um, exactly. yeah, the internet. You know, you know where we're going with the internet is been convenient in a lot of ways, but it's also made certain things disappear. So like like printed publications that doesn't no one there's no magazines anymore dude sod magazine dude i would love yeah. to fucking still have that running you know i remember when i was a kid there was rip magazine hit parader metal maniacs you had pit magazine you had all these things you had, you had uh modern drummer magazine guitar world i don't even know i mean i think there are they they still print some of these um mm-hmm. Uh, not most of the, you know, the, the magazines that I just rattle off are, are done, but, uh, a lot of, there are some that are still being, you know, printed out, but everything's online now. Everything. And I used up. to get, be able to get a few of those, at least a few of those at my local grocery store I'm in fucking Pacifica. Yeah. Like a metal maniacs or something. <laughs> yeah. Be there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Metal maniacs was great. And they covered everything. But you, do you remember like there was no blabbermouth. You would read metal maniacs or updates or magazines yep. on updates of mm-hmm. what was happening uh, in with your favorite band or musician. And now everything is, uh, as soon as something happens, it's on, you know, whatever news, you know, music yeah. news thing you want to, yep. you know, you used to like cut pages out to be like, oh, this is a picture of my favorite band. You cut like a, a magazine picture I out totally like, on your wall when you're a kid. You know, cutouts <laughs> on my fucking yeah. wall, dude. Do you, do you guys remember any any uh, any pictures or any posters you had when you were a kid that were memorable that you had? I, was, I oh, remember totally. a bunch. Definitely. So, yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, I remember. I had a big Iron Maiden. Can I play with Madness? And my father didn't like it because yeah. at Eddie's head and there was like a fist going through his head and i just thought it was awesome but yeah i don't know those were really fun days having the or mine, you just have a yeah. mine was a like what? slipknot shit i was yeah mine was like the new metal stuff because i was like in junior high and shit mm-hmm. like with that <laughs> shit you know? like fucking but then later on it evolved into like relapse shit i had a lot of relapse posters that i actually oh, wish that i fucking kept i had an exit 13 poster that i fucking loved Spot Carnage, like all the stoner mm-hmm. grind basically from Relapse was all over my walls. That's so, or like black lights and sh- like black light posters. Oh, like yeah. With those before music, dude. Like yeah. the alien and the, yep. you know, the famous alien <laughs> fucking symbol. Yeah. Or fucking, yeah. And I would oh, like, man. I would graffiti my walls with highlighters so it wouldn't show up until fucking you hit the black light <laughs> oh wow i remember those stick up stars those stars you could yeah. stick on your yeah, dude. i had a bunch of those 
<laughs> yeah. totally yeah, sp- it looks like we all shopped at Spencer's when we were kids. Yeah. Hot Topping and <laughs> Spencer's, yeah. Oh, totally. Those were, I think it was like a 90s thing, having all the stars. Because totally. everyone had the stick-on stars. I remember I, yeah. we did that in high school. And I did that with, the, like, the first girl I dated. We did my whole bedroom, and we turned the lights off, and then we would stare into the... <laughs> You know, yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's so cool. You know, just be and, uh, amazed by it. It had the little putty. You'd it. have to like put your own putty on it, right? It didn't even have the st- oh, yeah. adhesive on it. No, I had were, the sticky ones. This was oh, okay. like they, they had, they were sheets. They were sheets uh, and okay. they were already pre carved yep. uh, patterns. See, the ones, were, the ones I got like, came with a wad yeah. of putty that would like. And, and but like a month later, like you'd be walking through your room and some shit would fall on your head. And <laughs> oh, okay. You had the cheap ones, right? Yeah, the big, the okay. thicker ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those. Yeah, I didn't have those, but I saw those. I think those came later. I had the, they were essentially just glow in the dark star stickers and you'd stick them up. And my ceiling at my parents' house had a, uh, had a drop tile ceiling from the 70s. So they stuck and they were white. So you didn't see them during the day. And if you turn yeah. them off at night, they look really cool. But I remember that. Yeah. And um, I had a humongous kiss poster, like huge. I don't know what the hell I think. I think I might still have that. I remember I had that. And that was, um, you know, I had a couple Motley Crue posters. I really liked those. I had an Anthrax poster and I had a, oh, I also had a Tracy Lords poster. That was like my favorite. <laughs> not music but but still yeah yeah but fun i think i had paula abdul and i didn't even like her music dude i just had paula abdul somewhere in my room i like paula abdul a lot too i didn't really like her music remember there was always the guy with like the the carmen electra poster and the fucking pam anderson poster like back in like the mid 90s yeah yeah yeah. i had a friend who had like the yasmin bleeth poster was like oh yasmin bleeth jeez i haven't heard that name in forever some fucking baywatch shit dude you know it's she was hot yeah i mean she was hot as fuck dude yeah, she's probably still very, very pretty. But um, yeah, I remember her. And remember, do you remember the Barbie twins? Remember those girls? I had, oh, I had, shit, I do I had a Barbie that. twins poster. And yeah. I also had the heavy metal posters. I think I still have uh, that. Yeah, the famous heavy metal cover of the, With the sword. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fuck yeah. Yep. My favorite one was Tracy Lords. I have her in like black lingerie on a chair, like a red chair. <laughs> It's like my absolute favorite. Admittedly, I've never opened up one of those fucking graphic novels, dude. It's graphic. It's a graphic novel, isn't it? Um, as a picture, a series of them or whatever. Heavy metal. No, it was just a poster that I, I actually. Was I thought it was based poster. on a, a. Oh no no, we're he's she's talking he's talking about uh, Tracy Tracy uh fucking what's her name? Tracy not not the, not yeah. uh heavy metal. Um, yeah. Oh. She had a poster. It was like from the nineties and my buddy got it. And I actually had a real switchblade knife and I traded him the switchblade knife for that poster. <laughs> and I still have the poster somewhere at my parents' house, like wrapped, like I, I rolled it up and I, I carefully placed it somewhere. I think it's that's biology, it's, dude. You literally gave up protection through weapons to just stare at a yeah. poster of a chick, dude. <laughs> Minor, uh, beautiful, pretty lady. Yeah. Which, Remember, yeah. like when you were a kid, you would just like tr- the the trades that you would do. It'd be like, I'll give you this cassette player for like this one CD or something. Like it would be like. Actually, I found out about a lot of music like that. Was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll give you this like piece of technology for like an album, and it would be like you know. And it literally would like I would sit there because the album meant a lot to me because obviously I traded my like 
tape deck for it or something. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. these 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 young trades is like literally like helped form my music like path like and stuff. Just like because you you didn't have totally. money really when you were a kid. You were just like I have mm-hmm. items that I got through Christmas or something. Like I will give this for the other you know for an album or something like that. It was a lot easier to just trade stuff, and and we did that a lot. And and that also reminds me, like back in the day with the local bands, when I had my local band, we would tape trade. Um, my uh, you know bass player at the time, he was a lot more involved in the tape trading. But I <clears throat> I did a little bit of it, not a ton, but I remember getting tapes and trading with bands that were in like Ohio, and mm-hmm. you know everyone would share their shit. And that was a really 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 neat, you know, it was a really neat experience. It was before the internet, really. I mean, it was. We were interneting without internet. That's how we networked. Yeah. With the, with the tape trades, were you like, was that done through like magazines and shit? Like, was that you mainly? Could, you could you could put stuff in fanzines and there were fanzines everywhere. Fanzines. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you would do those. And then there was also uh, fly, you get flyers. You Yeah, you would mainly a lot of the networking was through different zines. And, and, um, and just kind of, yeah, it was, it was really neat. It was a whole networking setup. That was all done through mail and there was no internet, there was no technology. It was just like you, you, you record your demo and you make your J card. A lot of the demos back then, you know, you would just, you'd make the layout and then you'd go to a Kinko's or someplace and you'd print out like a piece of paper and it would come with three J cards and you just cut them and fold it appropriately and fit it in a cassette tape. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, then, and, right. then, and there you go. Nice. Yeah. But there was, yeah, it was just you throw it in an envelope and you mail it and then you you talk and you write. And it was really, it was a cool time. I think it, I think it had a little more value to it. It wasn't, you know, you, you, there was a lot more involvement to do certain things and network and talk with people or hustle or, or get your name out or do whatever. There was, there was a lot more. You really, it was very much hands-on. And I think that was something that, that was taken away with the, the, the computer age and the internet age, the age of the internet, everything's kind of um, ready. You're, everything is instant gratification. But I, was also, to, I was just thinking that so hard. I was yep. waiting for a way to push in with that, that <laughs> instant gratification and back yep. then the delayed gratification. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's cool. But the thing is, is it cheapens everything. Everything kind of loses its value a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. With the instant. Yeah. Totally. You know, like, it's not special anymore. We can literally, I can go on YouTube right now and I can find you name any band right now, any big band. I can find their demo on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Right now. I can find Metallica's. I, I have Metallica's no life to leather. I got it somehow through tape train and I yep. ended up and it had like master puppet rehearsals on the other side. And it was so like a copy of a copy of a copy. And it sounded like shit, mm-hmm. but like that was like holy cow! How did you get that? Now you just go and we can find it right now on on YouTube. It's nothing. Yeah, it numbs you. Yeah, the instant gratification just numbs the process. Numbs everything to like yeah, just makes it like oh yeah, well oh that came out. Well, I'll go listen to it real quick. Oh yeah, it's good. It's yeah. like literally that's how long it takes. And it used to be like I have to contact this person. They're gonna send me something that's like gonna sound like shit, but I'm gonna get it in my hand. And it's mm-hmm. like yeah, there's a whole process back in the day. No, definitely. Yeah, everything was, man. And and I really think that, um, you know, everything just, uh, yeah, everything had a lot more value because you had to go through a lot more steps to obtain it or get it. Yep. You, know? you got to get the friends together. All gather in a car. We're going to fucking go to Hate Street. Okay. It's going to be like this whole like half yeah. day of process. And you might come home with all garbage, dude. 
if totally. you if you want to just go off of covers and logos and record labels and shit you may get one out of fucking four or five cds that are, might be decent or yep. you get a fucking day where you come home and it's like dude i got fucking all bangers you know yeah <laughs> I, I remember i remember i bought um I remember I bought Obituary Slowly We Rot the day that the Metallica Black album came out. My buddy bought the Black album, um, and, and I didn't buy it because I remember seeing the debut of it on MTV. I saw the Enter Sandman debut, the video, and it was a really lame video. It was all black, and there was just little segments and pictures. Like They didn't actually do an, a, a video. They just kind of, some video editor put something together, and they threw the music under it. But the music, I, I just, I wasn't really blown away by it. Actually, I, I, I hated it. I still don't like that album. Um, maybe I, just I stay within the first four as well. There, there, it's, yeah, it, and I wouldn't even say that the Metallica Black album is a bad album because it's not a bad album. It's just that the first four albums are just so remarkably yeah. awesome. And, and it's really what it is. It's just, it's a good album. The Black album's great. It's it, it outsold all the other albums that they've. It's actually one of the best selling albums of all time. All time, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a great album, but I think that it was, it, I think the first four albums just had a little more magic. Maybe it's just me. I know I'm not the only one, but when I bought the Slowly We Rot and my buddy got the Black album, we played it and we played, you know, I played my tape. He's like, dude, I should have bought, I should have bought your tape. He was all bummed. <laughs> you know, like, it was like, and I really didn't know Obituary too well at the time. All I saw was like, there was a corpse on the gutter and then the obituary logo and i'm like well that looks cool look at that you know mm-hmm. like yeah it's kind of so I, I yeah so it was yeah again one of those things you just roll the dice it, it looks promising and it ended up being really really fucking badass totally I think, dude. Yeah, that was like 91 90 90 yeah whenever the black album came out jeez god damn long um, ass time man. yeah oh, so, if you want to step in uh, oh, yeah, what's up, Joseph, go ahead it's okay. You got one. Okay. It's uh yeah, it's our homie Dennis from Spawn of Possession commented. Um, he actually wants to know more about the making of the first Hate Eternal record. If you have any more memories or insights of that, any Easter eggs, whatever. Uh well, okay. Uh well, I went okay, so this was a crazy story about this album. Um <clears throat> I was um we I went and did the demo, you know, in what 97. And then we, you know, it rolled down a year later and I was still talking to Eric and we were talking about finishing the rest. He was sending stuff through me uh, to me through the mail in cassette. So I'd learn it and jam along to it. Uh, Eric was really, it was, it was his material and his stuff. So he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And I lived in New York. He lived in Florida. Even if I had lived in Florida and worked with him at that time, I would have just been doing what he wanted to do, wanted me to play anyways. It was easier for him to just get his drum machine and put the parts that he wanted, the bass, just the, you know, the meat and potato drum beats that he wanted. And then I would, I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd add suggestions and I add my flair to it or my feel to it as well. And some, some of it was a yay, some of it was nay. And he was pretty, pretty dead set on how he wanted the songs to be. So we got together. He drove up from Florida and stayed at my, I was living with my parents. So he stayed at my parents. <laughs> we had a spare room area in the basement and he was there for like two months. And he even got like a part-time job just hanging out. And he was cool. My parents were cool. We, we would jam and work on the songs. And uh, 
and, and, and we got them really locked down. And then in the beginning of 99, uh, January or February, I went down to Florida for like a month and I stayed with, with Eric. And it's funny at the time, Eric was living with punchy or Juan Gonzalez was a morbid angels, longtime tour manager. And Punchy and I ended up touring throughout the half decade that I was at Morbid Angel. So anyway, I was that's how I met Punchy. And I and actually I met him in 97 when I first went to Florida. I've known him for I've known Juan for a long time and Eric for a long time. So I went down and we rehearsed, didn't do anything. We just rehearsed every day. It was pretty dull. It was pretty, pretty intense because he worked and I I didn't have a car or anything. I didn't rent a car. I didn't have I wasn't even old enough to rent a car. I was barely 20 years old. So how'd you um, entertain yourself when he was at work? Just play I drums? Would play video, I would play video games. I'd take walks. There was a pond. Um, I didn't really have access to a drums kit because we rehearsed at a public storage at nighttime. Mm. So we would, um, we would put all this shit in. It, they would be going to a public storage. It was steel garage. It was in Florida in Tampa. So it was really loud. It was so loud. I'd have to wear earplugs. And I think my ears would still hurt even with the earplugs. It was you're in a steel, steel garage with drums and two half stacks. You know what I mean? It's just loud as fuck. Wow. So we did that for like a month and woodshedded and got it as tight as we could. Then we went in and recorded at uh, uh, Greenhouse Effects Studios. I forgot where, somewhere in the inner city of Tampa. And um it was a few weeks getting we could we were having trouble getting tones the toms i still don't like the way the toms sound um i used my snare drum uh it was a ludwig um was it an acrylite i think it's it's like a 70s 14 by 5 ludwig yeah i think it's what it is an acrylite they're, they're silver aluminum they used them for so long it's one of the longest running productions ludwig snare drums but i still have that that's what I used for the snare. Um, the China and a couple crashes were actually Pete Sandoval's. So Pete actually lent those to me. And he would actually, yeah. he would actually come into the studio and check on me. That was the coolest shit ever, you know? Oh, and it was the dude. same China and crashes that Pete used on the Blessed album and Covenant album. So wow. it was, yeah, it was quite an honor. And uh, that to that day, to this day, I just think that was really cool that that i i had that experience it was a tough session because there was no beat detector there was no uh there was no just fix it on the grid there was no click track we didn't we didn't have clicks we just rolled it was a two inch it was an otani machine two inch tape and we rolled it and hopefully you nail it but there there were the i think the only songs that we punched were doug cerrito songs because there were a lot of stops so we were anywhere where there was a stop we could punch but we, we, we just didn't have the technology and the capability to do all that. So it was, it was a grueling session. Like I said, the first song um, on that album took me like 26 takes. It was, it was pretty, pretty grueling session. And then the photo shoot we did um, afterwards, I remember we did the photo shoot. There's a photo of us in a burned down church. And that's yeah. in down Tampa. Apparently that church is like renovated now. And it's like living areas for like a kind of a hoity-toity hipster area, I guess. <laughs> so that's what it is now. That church is up and renovated into like split apartments, all fancy. They used what was remaining there and, and put it together. But it was cool. It was very, uh, it was just a very different time. You had to be able to play. You, you couldn't rely on, there was, 
there's no oh your his feet are choppy there or this this is there's a stick click well tough shit we can so either. is conquering your first official recording yeah situation? that was that was my first recording and yeah it was all do you think the, that do you think that the 26 takes had to do with any kind of anxieties that you had for being in that situation i think so yeah because it was kind of stressful i mean i sat in a house for a month pretty much and didn't do much we actually had another bass player that was lined up before Jared Anderson joined. And that guy actually went home. He was in Chicago and he was like, one day he was like, fuck this. I'm going home. And he just left. <laughs> Damn. So, so Eric had to find someone else. And he ended up getting, finding Jared through a friend of a friend, word of mouth type deal. And Jared also brought, he was, you know, he was a really talented guy. He had a great voice. He could sing. So he did, um, I don't know if he did any backups on that. Obviously, you know, the other albums that he played on, he did vocals as well. Um, but that album was, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, man. It was really bare bones and it was just roll tape and good luck. And, yeah. and I really think that that is magical because you can feel the human fluctuation all throughout that album. That's and, one of and, the aspects of it that we love about it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, everything is just really, um, everything's just strangled to perfection. I don't hear any fluctuation. All I hear is beat detect at, at, at 98%. And then even a lot of the modern productions I hear, everything has the same EQing. Everyone has the same sound replace snare and kick drum. It's really like back when we, you know, so, so back then, 20 years ago, we really, <laughs> we really had to work with, we, we didn't have the best drum kit. And we, that the kit was a Mapex with 24 inch kick drums. So it was really hard to get, um, we just triggered the kick drums. The kick drums are all triggered. I don't even think there was mics blended in with it. There may have been actually, yeah, there was mics, a little bit of mics, but I think it was mostly trigger. And the toms were, that, that was all mics. We did the best we could do. We didn't have the right heads. Um, but it was, you know, it's still a pretty kick-ass album, I, I, you know, for, for what it is. I, I think it was. And you're but, flying on that shit, dude. I'm thinking about, like, spiritual holocaust right now. You guys just all are, like, flying on so that track, dude. That pretty yeah, cool. I, yeah, it's, it was it was pretty uh, pretty crazy how it just, how quickly it came together. But everyone was on, everyone was focused on, okay, we're going to get it done. And, and Eric is a really hardworking individual. He is, um, you know, at that time. He was really, really determined to, to put out this album. And um, there were times where he was just, you know, wasn't the, 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 the most pleasant guy to, 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 to be around at times. But he really knew what he wanted. And, and I think that he was just he was just like this the whole time. Mm -hmm. But it came out great. The album overall, I think to date, I mean, it, I, I think a lot of people will tell me that it's their favorite Hate Eternal record. And, and you know, he's just everything he's done is, is is pretty remarkable so it was really cool to be involved in that and do that album um after yeah. the album was done um the touring cycle i kind of had a whatever job at the time and i think the demand that he was putting on me and at my age and what i wanted to do i was like well i just i just really it didn't seem like i really wanted to be it, it seemed like it was more or less eric's band and it wasn't about everyone else. And I think, I, I think it was just mainly, I think the vibe and I was really young too, to, to, to my defense. So I think it was a series of, of things of why I didn't stay in Haiti eternal. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
Uh, it, but I, I, either way, the album was was great. And 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 then uh, Derek, you know, he got Derek Roddy. What better replacement for anyone than to get Derek Roddy? Right. And, you know, yeah. So it worked out great for for everybody. And then later on, I continued on and focused on, you know, I did some other stuff. And then um, eventually I, I got to a point where I, I wanted to, to come out West and come out to California. And I decided to move out here and I moved out to California. So how old were you when you came out to Cali? Like 25, which is kind of late, you know, but I really didn't want to leave my friends and family. I was doing my best to figure out how I could do, do music and kind of stay there. I was just kind of, in, in, at that time in my life, I was like, well, I really don't, you know, I kind of like it here. I like my friends, family. I know my way, or I don't mind traveling. I like traveling, but I didn't mind coming home to see mainly friends and family. Rochester doesn't really have a lot of opportunities uh, overall. It's it's a city with old money. You know, uh, there's no, you know, there's there's not like not like out here in California. You have like a 22 year old IT kid that's making 150 thousand a year or whatever. You know, that's not uncommon in California, but in Rochester, it's kind of limited and it's really limited as far as there's no industry there for music. So I think eventually I started to discover and realize, you know, I think that's what I want to do. And I wasn't dead set on Florida, even though I kept going to Tampa, Florida to play with all these other bands. I eventually ended up going to Florida or to California and I did the the Carpet Birth album in what? Oh, one, oh, two, Mm-hmm. something like that not too shortly after it dropped it what did it drop in 03 or 02 it came out in 02 came out in 03 or, i think right 03 so. yeah i think it's 03 i think it was yeah i think yeah, so i think so so i did that album in 01 or 02 i forget which which yeah. year but i i remember when i came out to their uh you know matt is based in in santa cruz and when i went out to santa cruz and when i i, I was like wow california's awesome after I went to California and I came back, I think things were a little clearer to me on what I wanted and where I wanted to live. And when I came to California, I just felt like it spoke to me. You know, Tampa never really Tampa was cool. I liked it. I, I think it's more appealing now than it was like when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, eventually, you know, in the industry was, you know, out West, there was a lot of stuff going on out West. I mean, a, a lot of bands in a lot of, uh, a lot of art and everything that we like is really based on the West coast. Yeah. You know, Valley death, it, dude. so yeah. So <laughs> by far, uh, Casey, if you have a question, hop in here, but uh, I did have one. Go ahead. Yeah, one that, just before we keep moving on. So, so Derek, I mean, like when we had Derek on Derek Roddy, of course, we, we, and I was like thinking about like what he was saying about basically like that time in the late nineties when he was trying to figure out his sound and like Sean Reiner, you know, did human with death and kind of like just hit the ball out of the park with that progressive stuff and everything. And Sean mm-hmm. was such a monster and. Oh and, yeah. Uh, and did Derek just, he said, he like, he's like, I'm just going to fucking out endurance everybody and play faster than everybody, you know? And I feel like, <laughs> like it made me think of you too. And like in that time, it's like, I mean, what were your biggest influences? Of course, Pete Sandoval and stuff, but like mm-hmm. other ones, I mean, of course, cool Ross, you know, but like you were like really fast, like at that time and taking it. And like, you like also ha- had like a, like a sound with your drums. Like it's like, the, the, like 
it cuts through, you know, like, like you would like, like the, like the sound of your kicks, the snare, everything like cuts through like super fast, you know? And it, it, it's like, sounds like that on like so much stuff, like even Agile, like we were talking about that album oh, yeah. and I was, I was re-listening to that the other day and stuff. And so that's like, in, yeah. that, that was like, was that before in time begins or after that was after. Okay. That was okay. after time begins. So, and I think that was around, uh, Oh, wait a minute. You know what? I don't remember. I think it may have been right around the same time. Actually, I think I was doing yeah. age. Joseph, you I got it pulled up. All I know is that the AGL album is a 2002 release and ATV uh, okay. is 2003, oh. but okay. So they were really close. I believe I was in AGL yeah. when I was doing decrepit birth mm -hmm. and, um, the Asia was another band that was just kind of that, that album was, there was no click. There was no nothing. It was just, we rolled tape and good luck, you know, kind of deal. And, um, but I, I think, uh, where, where, where I was, I wasn't setting out to be the fastest drummer. It was just something I, I, I was able to do mm -hmm. and it came naturally, but it, it, I had never at my point was like, I'm going to be the fastest. I just, I just knew I wanted to execute as good as I could. And I wanted to be as tight as I could, I, I could and as efficient as I could, but, but I didn't want to, like, if I was going to, you know, if we were going to play fast then you know, let's fucking play fast, you know, let's not like half-ass it. So mm -hmm. I think maybe I, I subconsciously was in my head that I was, I wanted to, but it wasn't something that I was overthinking. Like, I want to do this. I want to be, you know, never, I think in the later, I think in the later, uh, or earlier 2000s i think when i was doing the agl stuff i think i was like man i want this stuff to haul ass because i had, i had done you know the hate eternal album and i wasn't in hate eternal and i just wanted to prove i do i do remember i just wanted to prove that i i, I you know I, I i improved and i definitely stepped up as a player from that album to the and if you listen to both those the agl album is fucking insane as far That's as the insane, drums. dude the drumming is there's so much crazy shit going on and it's ripping. It's really fucking fast. Man, it's classic. Yeah, yeah classic unique leader too, dude. What, what's like, the name of the album again? It's a uh, fucking Dark Pantheons again with Rain or yeah, something. That's right. You know what? Dark Pantheons. Dark Pantheons. You know what's weird is I didn't really get along with the rest of the guys in that band. They were kind of introverts and they were kind of like nerdy. They were the kind of the opposite. I was kind of like, at that time, I was. Like, I don't, I don't know. I was a lot more. I've always been an extrovert. Yeah, just super social and wanting to yeah, hang out. Yeah. And fucking, just, yeah. yeah, and when I was like, you know, in your early 20s, you want to fucking party and you want to have mm -hmm. fun. You want to try to go, you know, meet some pretty ladies or what have you. Those guys with the complete I'm 37 and I still want to party, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've slowed down now. I mean, I'm, me and my yeah, dog party by drinking fucking nighttime tea and watching netflix now so <laughs> these are my only parties in all reality <laughs> <Yeah>. these podcasts <laughs> yeah, right. Things slow down as you get older, but yeah i mean it was um that, that that was the one thing that i remember on that album and i maybe at that point that that's the one point i remember that i had like I, all right i'm gonna step it up but i think overall it wasn't something like speed overall wasn't something i was really trying to just knock out of the park or i was trying to be the most techie player i mean i loved you know sean reiner was such an innovative and special individual and he was just he was the sweetest guy man he was an absolute sweetheart i'm really honored um 
to have known him when he was alive and befriend him because he was such a huge inspiration of my playing at a younger age. And, you know, him and, you know, uh, Gene Hoagland, you know, daddy, -o, I love Gene so much. He's another guy yeah. that just never, never, he, he, his playing never, never fails to inspire. Two signature styles that are super influential each in their own, dude. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then I remember, you know, discovering some of the fusion stuff after that. Cause I was like, well, what is Sean Ryder? Like, where's he getting these, where's he getting all this from? I mean, like he's, he's like holy ass, but he's got all these really crazy fusion. He like just these licks and these fills that I'd never heard before. And then I discovered Vinny Colyuda and Dave Weckl. And I'm like, Oh, Okay, so I, I see what he's doing here, and and then I would study, you know, uh, you know, I'd listen to a lot of. I, I remember I had Alan Holdsworth's Secrets yeah. and like City Nights. That song, Kalyuta is just ripping. <laughs> I just listening to that, going like, wow. So I really wanted to incorporate that too. But I think generally speaking, I mean that that was a moment where I really got into fusion, and and and, and I also studied. Um, jazz drumming when i was like 16 I, I i went to hochstein school of music and i did study some jazz and few uh some some jazz latin fusion drumming whatever nice. um and, and and i learned technique a little better technique and everything else and i applied that but i think really i, I think what i've always been and what i've always identified as far as my playing and how i approach a kid is i'm i'm a rock drummer that can play it 250 BPM. That's really what I'm at at the end of the day. I'm 100% a fucking rock drummer that just can hit these 250 marks on a good day when I'm warmed up. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Do you remember? So, uh, we had, you know, did a decrepit birth episode, never talking about um, you recording and stuff, and that there was like a, a flooding, like a some sort of like a water like issue in your, your drum. Oh, like, wow. Bill, Bill, yeah, Bill was saying that your, your drum yeah. kit was kind of like floating, like kind of like a raft on there. That's what he was there, saying. I don't know if that they want to hear the, the backstory on that. Uh, there was um, it was a pearl export kit. And right from the get go, when I got there, there was nothing but like roadblocks. I, I was like, I, I wasn't like I, I was kind of like, oh, well, we'll figure it out. I think Matt was more stressed about it because he was like, shit, oh, we got to, uh, you know, and the, but he really, you know, the, we had a, a pearl kit. It worked. It was just an export, but it sounded good. They insulated the room. I think the drum kit was set on pallets with wood over it with a carpet over it. And when it flooded, yeah, it was kind of, I remember one day it flooded or something. There was something where it was shifty and moving around a lot. <laughs> and I remember we didn't have the right fucking Tom, uh, Tom mics. So that's why those palms are triggered. <laughs> oh my God, dude. <laughs> it's the decrepit version of fucking Motley Crue doing the 360 fucking <laughs> Tommy Lee doing the fucking yeah. solo upside down. This is the decrepit birth version where you just kind of totally. float a little bit and mix, mix, mix with spinal tap. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the time, uh, uh, Matt and his girlfriend were living in this house in Santa Cruz and there was a little dilapidated one car garage and he renovated the whole damn thing into a temporary studio. And we recorded the drums in this little studio. And that stuff was really, really crazy. I remember he had sent me some of the uh, scratch tracks to listen to. And I'm listening to him. I'm like, dude, I don't know what the hell's going on. There was a couple of songs. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know what this is. You know, like, I don't know how we're going to approach this. <laughs> I've so, heard those, dude. Oh, man, they're crazy. Yeah. I, I, I know you're talking about those tracks. Yeah. 
So you're saying that some of the drumming had to be toned down because it was just too crazy in the scratch tracks? Dude, the, he had those scratch tracks of those original songs that were like insane. Dude. It was too much. But that's yeah. some of that was not humanly possible. I'm like, dude, yeah, yes, it was. And I remember I sat down with him. I'm like, some of this stuff is just really impossible to pull off and and and, and execute like your drum machine. There's just no, no humans going to be able to do some crazy fill like like that you know what i mean down toms at like 250 like, <laughs> in the back, up, down. <laughs> so we you know we worked together on it that album that without a doubt that was one of the most difficult or challenging recordings i ever did because there was so much involved there was it was really really intricate and it was the first of its kind a lot of people you know a lot of the younger guys i talked to they're like man that that album that's that is the pioneer album of tech techie death metal. Like yeah. that was for everything. And it, 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 it kind of was, I didn't really, it, it, it was, a, it was a big game changer in the Cali scene specific, dude. Like every one of us were like, God damn, dude, that yeah. that's what's going on right now. Okay. We got to fucking yeah. hit the books again, guys, you know, and fucking, yeah. and, well, dude, and like, I, like, I remember <clears throat> like, I got like, I got this call on the phone from like my friends, David and Josh that were like in the car and they're like up in like the Bay area. And I was down, down here in San Diego and they're like, dude, you got to check out this new album. It's like on this message, like it's fucking, it's grab at birth. Like it's, it's because we had never heard of them, you know? And it was like, it's fucking Tim young on drums. And I knew who you were from, from uh, Haiti eternal and stuff and, and stuff. Oh, right on. And then I was like, I mean, I, this is like 2003 or whatever, you know? And then like, like it just sounds all crazy, and it's and it's Derek Boyer, for, you know, on bass from Deprecated because we love Deprecated, and I'm yeah. just like, what the fuck? I just hear on my head, like on my phone, it's just like, like all crazy. And they're just like, oh, is it Derek? They like hang up, and I'm just like, holy shit! And I like I had to go order the physical copy copy from uh, Spin Records in Carlsbad, and it like took a couple of weeks, and I had to get the physical one, and then got it, and it was just like. I was like, I I already knew your drum sound, and I was like, dude, what the hell is this? This is so insane. <laughs> yeah, it was an insane record to yeah. to record on. I can only imagine how insane it was playing those songs. So let me ask you this, <laughs> yeah. Casey: How was it learning, like learning those songs? Because I tell you yeah. one thing again, it, it, it would take me an enormous amount of time to learn and be able to execute. I watched you play those songs and it was remarkable, but how was it learning stuff? Yeah. Well, well, there were certain songs that were like off limit songs, (laughs) like, (laughs) like, like like rebirth, (laughs) whatever was the like eternal off limit song. We're we're never going to play rebirth. Okay. So just don't even, you know, (laughs) which one is that? Is that the one with the fill, the drum fill in the beginning? I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, or rebirth is, um, Track five, right? Rebirth it's, of Consciousness. It's like it's the it's like the most insane song like on the album. It's like so. I'm crazy. I'm gonna look it up right now yeah. because yeah, dude, I can put. Well, actually, I can't. Whatever. Can. <laughs> <laughs> Unique leader will sue us, dude. Yeah. I think I think for that you would just get demonetized for Unique Leader, but for uh, dude, like, it was a I fucking joke. Yeah, I don't know. Rebirth, <laughs> is, Rebirth of, of consciousness. consciousness. Yeah, that that was yeah, like that's the song. The song. Yeah, that one. Oh, God, yeah, that one. <laughs> he sing that song together was hard. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and like you know, how how it was recorded. You know, you, you, uh, I'm sure Matt told you how we did it. We just did everything in sections. 
I yeah, learned format, and then yeah. we cut and paste it, kind of like, um, yeah, kind of like every album is recorded and done now. But that was kind of a new way to do it. I mean, the only other album I knew that was done like that in the early two thousands for extreme metal was uh, the Nile Black Seeds of Vengeance album. Mm-hmm. Yep, which Derek did in a pretty quick amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like he, he did the whole album like one fucking day, but. Um, he had, he had gotten a lot of it down. I guess he had told me he, you know, he had heard scratch tracks or whatever, but he drove up there and banged it out. The rest was history. I think that's partially why I fucking always think of Derek Roddy and Tim Young in the same, you know, realm for me because of those two albums, black seeds and and time begins. Like those two records came at me at a time where, that type of drumming wasn't really going on in anything else that I was listening to, you know? So it was just, we were talking about how you got to get more extreme, more extreme, more extreme. And that that was the next extreme thing at the time was black seeds. And time begins, dude. And you're just like, Oh fuck. So this is how it can be done now. Like (laughs) it just opened this whole world. Like same with the, what's it called? Uh, What's the morbid angel, morbid angel album with the opening of the gates. Fucking gateways to annihilation. Gateways to annihilation. Like hearing like, Hearing Sandoval do that part in uh, opening the gates, just going like, "What the fuck? This is a, a possible thing." Like I didn't know and that's that. That's like, the Godfather right there, you know. It's yeah, like a great, it's, hearing it's the double like, bass and like, like my my whole dream from that was just like, I love the slow like tremolo riffs of the double bass that was like inhuman, you know, like, yeah. like yeah. at the time, you know. He, I mean, really, none of us would have would be doing you know, playing the BPMs that we're playing, if it weren't for Pete was the first guy that really pushed the bar and really. Think about world downfall when it happened, like being the, the metal kids and the grind kids come across world downfall from terrorizer in the late eighties. And then that is the same thing. Like that was there. And time begins there. Fucking. Yep. uh, black seeds of vengeance it's like a level up it le- leveled up that's what it oh was, yeah yeah, yeah. like the split time blast played that fast was unheard of i mean Nap- napalm was getting close and all that kind of shit too but it's really pete the feet who fucking showed us what fucking grind should really sound like dude yeah he really had it down to a science he got it down to where no one no one played it like he did and and he's a very special player. Even to this day, there isn't anyone that has that that feel that he has. He's got a really unique, special uh, approach on the drum kit. And um, yeah, he's just such. He's just one of those guys, man. He's like the Muhammad Ali of of, of extreme metal drummers. You know, he's That's just yeah, dude. yeah. Perfect. Very, very important, essential guy. And, and, and well, and, he's definitely more competent and more alive than Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, it's <laughs> being well, a professional boxing has its uh setbacks yeah. sometimes for your health. Yeah. yeah. Totally. But I feel like the like the torch got passed on though, like to the next generation, which is like you or like Roddy and then you and stuff. And then of course Callias, you know. And yeah. you know, you guys are like the three, like, I mean it's kind of like for like the old, you know, bad, I mean, everyone's doing the double strokes now and there's all that going on and everything. I wanted to ask you about that too, but like, you know, just for like, like powerful playing single strokes, like the fastest dudes, like you guys are the three that still to me are like, I mean, 20 years later, I'm like, it's the top guys, you know, wow. basically, you know, awesome, man. Good stuff. Yeah. I, um, 
it's pretty cool to be involved uh, or to know that I'm involved in, in that, um, you know, I guess that circle of, 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 you know, Derek and George, I look up to both of those guys um, immensely as players and they're both great friends. I mean, I've been friends with Derek for over 20 years yeah. and uh, George Coleus. I've been friends with for, you know, a good decade now and him and I have toured together and, and they're, they're, man, they're, they're, they're just awesome dudes. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad we're all still here, you know, for, you know, as crazy as the world is right now, hopefully we'll get back to being able to tour at some point. Uh, normally I, I, you know, we'll, we'll see, but, um, yeah, yeah that's, that's really awesome. I'm really, um, it makes me feel really, really good inside to know that I, that I, that I had in my playing and the stuff that I did 20 years ago still has some sort of relevance now because not, you know, not everybody, not everybody can say that, you know, say that their stuff is still relevant or, you know, someone even uh, still appreciates it. So I'm really grateful for that. I can't tell you how many times I've been playing drums and doing a blast beat and in my mind, just thinking, I wish it sounded like Tim Young fucking, you know, like, <laughs> like trying to match that sound. And of course, like, coming from before with like Mike Smith and, and you know, and of course, Cool Ross or, or like Dave, Doug Bone or like, you know, Suffo guys or, you know, you, you and, and like Pete Sandoval before that and all that stuff. But man, like, yeah, dude. Good stuff, man. Yeah, there's there's a lot of great players. And um, sure. in, 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 in right now, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I really don't know a whole ton of what's going on yeah, we're in, the same way. <laughs> underground world. I, I do see a lot of guys doing like the doubles on their feet and right. doubles on their hands. I saw a kid on Instagram. And I, I don't even know who he is, but it just popped up on my feed. And this kid is ripping. He's doing like he's doing two foot blasts, which I don't really like the two foot. It's, you know, and that that split blast versus the one foot blast is kind of like the same debate as, as the guitar players have as opposed to like, okay, well, what you're cross picking it or down picking it. You know what I mean? So I think only guitar players are, or drummers are the people that really pick up on that, on that type of stuff. So me being a drummer, I pick up immensely on a one foot blast versus the two foot blast. And to me, I think the two foot blast, although is much more efficient, uh, you're, you're, you're not exerting yourself to uh, it nearly as much as the one foot. I just think that the one foot blast has a certain special feel and it's, that's just kind of the authentic way to play that beat, yeah. you know? Um, so I, I've always done that. I can split blast yeah. if, I, if I want to, I, I don't really use that. I don't do that. I, uh, I can yeah. gravity blast if I want. I don't use that either. And right, the doubling right. on the, yeah, I think the doubling on the kick drum, I don't really, do that because I, your pedals have to be kind of set up to do that yeah and the kick drum the head and everything right and stuff yep everything's usually yeah. really tight mm -hmm. and the problem is with the people and the drummers that double hit is you get no you get no leverage you get no power from it so it's it's cool but you're not really hitting the drum like it should be hit and i think drums sound really good when you beat the shit out of them that's kind so, of what, yeah, what roddy was saying too is like what do you sound like as a drummer like when i'm listening mm -hmm. to you as a drummer how do you sound like versus like you know mm -hmm. if you well, can you could tap a little hammer or something like that on, yeah. your, on your kick and, and mm -hmm. have a certain speed to it but like what do you sound like as an acoustic drummer is what he was like, saying, like was if you're standing about. behind the drummer like live and like you yeah know, if there's you're not hearing the triggers you're just seeing them like if they're doing singly, you're going to hear the kicks with the singles. Totally. Exactly. 
Yeah, if you see a guy and there's some fast players that are like, I mean, some of these younger dudes that are like 280, like 300. BP. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I'm like, that's that's insane. But then I watch the technique that goes along with it to hit that that BPM, and it's it's not powerful. It's not um, it's not impacting, and it's it's just kind of like you're tapping the drum. I'm not really a fan of it. I'm not saying that I don't respect. Or, 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 or give credit towards, I mean, that's remarkable to practice and get to that, that, you know, to be able to play at that speed is remarkable. But right. for me, yeah. I, I don't, I, it does, it's not appealing to me. I mean, you can, you can yeah. tap something at, at 300, but if it's like, you know, if it's a little louder than, you know, a, a, a fly farting, then it's not. <laughs> so do they have to like turn up the sensitivity of the trigger too, to catch all that? Is, of course. I know that yeah. like, yeah. At a certain point, you don't hit it hard. You hit it hard enough, it's not going to register. So yeah. it's like, obviously, if they're if it's lighter tapping, then it's got to be a super sensitive trigger to catch those mm -hmm. BPMs. I mean, totally. I think, I, I think, and I think a lot of the younger uh, younger guys that do that, they fall uh, way too dependent on the triggers and the technology to compensate for the light hits. I really think if you get behind an acoustic kit, don't don't hook up your triggers. Don't turn your PA on, get on the drums and hit them. Play with a dude with a guitar cranked up and see if you can keep it his, you know, his, his level with, with just hitting your drums so they can be heard. I think that is really what will make you, uh, I mean, in my eyes, you know, more well-rounded. I think after a while, if you're, if you're playing it too, 72 80 whatever but you're hitting really light short strokes and you have to have a trigger set up for everyone to hear what you're doing i think it becomes more of a novelty than it does a skill set and all you guys that like it at that speed like listen to something at like 210 220 and on a good fucking stereo system it's yeah gonna fucking hit hard dude on the double bass parts it's still gonna feel mm -hmm. just as fucking metal dude don't worry oh yeah i mean <laughs> Like Morbid Angel Covenant, that's a ripping album. I don't think there's a song that's over 245 on that album. I think the fastest that's on there is like 230-something, uh, maybe 240, but um, 240 may even be pushing it. But if you play that shit with no mics and you can hit the drums hard playing that stuff, that that it's it's not it's not easy. It's killer, you know? though. Like, it's me, killer I, when it's done right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, this is kind of my take. Maybe I sound like an old guy. And, I, and again, I'm not discrediting mm -hmm. the younger guys that are doing these incredibly impressive, like 280, 300. I just yeah. think that, um, I mean, that's not what I do, obviously. But I, I think if that's, you know, if you're doing that and that works for you, then, hey, the most important thing is have a good time. Have fun. It's not a pissing contest. Totally. You got to yeah. enjoy yourself more importantly than anything. But I, I also, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't I taking a stance like that either. I'm just saying, you know, there's yeah. everything's for everybody, you know? It, it was just me being like, hey, dude, listen to Old Deeds of Flesh and tell me that that double bass doesn't feel fucking well, way more punchier. It's, than all, it's all a preference thing, and, like, like styles are going to change and evolve and try new things, and it's, it's really insane when people can nail it at that speed, of course. It's, like, really impressive. It's, and it's new, and it's, it's something different, which is cool and all that, you know? Um, but, yeah, you know, I don't know. I think that... It's kind of like just the style that you're into, like, you know, like hearing something mm -hmm. like played at a certain tempo, like it, it's, it's basically like, okay, is it more brutal? Like, 
or like what's the like what's the art like you know so like is this is faster like endlessly more brutal you know so like we get to this level where it just tops off more brutal okay but like sometimes like going back to listen to like despise the sun like with Kulros and it's like slower and it's way more brutal than like the faster shit, you know, up here. Totally. If you, you watch know? Dave, if you watch Dave play those songs, yes. yeah. You know, like try to mimic what he's doing. His stick is coming up here when he's coming on the snare oh, on the blast. Dude, so good. His, yeah. his pedal is going all the way back yeah. to go all the way into the head when he's flying, playing at 220, 230 on the bass. So that to me, is pretty goddamn impressive because you could put him on a huge stage with 90,000 people and you'll hear his drums. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing too, when you're on these big stages, like this tapping stuff, it doesn't really project um, as opposed to like hitting hard. Oh, you know, right now, like, you know, I, I, I do, I am morbid with, with David, uh, mm -hmm. David and I left morbid angel in 2015, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately. Um, but those songs are very, I mean, there's no, 260 you know what i mean morbid angel has a lot of slow meat and potato stuff as well so and i and i enjoy to play those songs and i think mm -hmm. there's more challenge with uh a slow a slow song or just as much challenge with a slow song as there is a 260 or 270 bpm song yeah so totally. for sure and a slow song everyone hears it exactly. if you fuck up 250 it like most people don't even know it's a good point <laughs> Yep. You know, mm -hmm. you think that comes from an, I know you and uh, Roddy kind of come from the same school of thought with, with the hard hitting and stuff like that. Do you think that comes from like your influences? Like you said, Tommy Lee was a was an influence when you were a kid. You could just hear you could see the drums or see how hard he's hitting him and stuff like that. And then going mm -hmm. from that and applying it to death metal. Do you think that's like because nowadays kids are just starting at, you know, insane insanity. They're, it's like they have. They didn't climb the ladder to anything. They just basically yeah. got there. You know what I mean? The elevator. Like, exactly. Right there. It's, it's, you know, Getting right there. You think that like, that's where your the influence of like the hard hitting comes from, like the upbringing of like seeing the hard rock drummers that were doing it, like even just going like back to Bonham or like going, going like deep back in the in the days and stuff and then seeing how it's um, kind of evolved. I think so. I mean, I think visually the guys that I looked up to when I would see them play and I saw how they were playing, I thought it was really appealing like especially watching tommy play tommy also is an entirely different build than i am he's like six foot two yeah. and he's really skinny and long and lanky <laughs> he sits really low and his you know i mean his setup's different but he hits hard naturally because his, his limbs are really you know he's to got come down he's up <laughs> here my arms yeah. aren't that long so i i compensate for my shorter arm span with a longer drumstick i use an extreme 5b and that helps but um but yeah to me i always i always thought it was it was you know drums were supposed to be hit you're supposed to hit them you know uh you don't you don't have to necessarily just unnecessarily beat the shit out of them even though it is really fun it is i like to hit hard <laughs> i hit hard as fuck live but you know, when you watch videos of John Bonham, John Bonham didn't hit extremely hard. He really did. Okay. He, he, he did hit fairly hard, but he didn't hit as hard as everyone, I, I, as everyone expected him or expects him or, or, or thinks that he, he, he played. He wasn't a, a superpower, like just laying into the drums like crazy. And his drums were tuned high. There's another thing. Okay. About, it was his drums were tuned like a big band drum set. So everything, there were big toms, 13, 16, 18 floors, I think a 26-inch kick. Everything was pitched up pretty high. 
um, which help the drums project. And especially when with, with extreme metal, um, when you have these big drums or everything tuned really low, everything gets muddy and sounds messy. So I think uh, when you have higher, you know, higher frequencies, if you tune your drums a little higher, sometimes it helps stuff to, 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 to cut a little better, I think, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, but overall, I mean, you know, we, everyone plays entirely different. I, I totally. always like to pride myself that I hit hard, especially, and this is the most annoying thing because I don't know how many times we've been on a big festival where I've played a huge festival and I've heard a band and they're playing like, they're playing like a skank beat, you know, like one of those. And then they'll go into a blast and all you hear is kick drum and no snare. And the, the snare just disappears. And then back into it, the snare comes back. And I'm like, are you not hearing what I'm hearing? Cause I, I, I hear that pretty, pretty clear. Your snare is just disappearing on the blasts. So I always tried to hit a lot harder. In fact, on a lot of the blasts, it sounds bad because it's incorrect technique wise, but I, I use a lot of arm on my left hand to make sure that the hits are loud and heard, you know, and they don't get lost or washed out. It's, it's an important thing is being consistent with your hits too. You don't want to be wailing on your kit and then come to a fast part and then you just start playing like, like a mouse, you know? <laughs> so yeah, consistency, I think is a, a is a good thing, you oh, know, yeah. especially, you know, live. Um, I you think know, we, got, we got a few more fan questions. I thought there was a few more, right, Joseph? I was going to say, if you're down, um, you kind of were touching on this earlier, uh, so maybe we can come back to it, but somebody specifically asked what it was like hearing Casey play the Anti Begins material for the first time. Yeah, I think I thought we were I, when, when, Where did I first see you uh, play? Was it, the, was it, the, it was either the Whiskey or maybe it was in, in Anaheim or something. I think it was the showcase, actually, that show that you guys were talking okay, about. Okay, there was, yeah, yeah. Because I have a picture somewhere of us, like... I, like yeah. Yeah, I remember watching and I, I remember being blown away because I, I after we recorded everything and I heard the album, I'm like, man, I, they're going to have a hard time getting someone to play these songs. These songs are yeah. hard. So I remember watching you just nail it and I was really blown away, man. I really was. Oh, I was shit, like, that's oh, a huge honor. Wow. Thank you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was really, really, I was just. I think we all were blown away because we were like, dude, this is the, like the first human we've seen play because you were in the studio, Tim. So there wasn't videos of you. Was there videos of you recording at all? No, I don't know if there is. Yeah, they, so that, and, and it, it, it was like a MySpace deal. And you're just like, dude, here's a human playing these songs, dude. And <laughs> MySpace, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Totally, dude. Gosh, back, yeah. And, and uh, we need to bring that back, man. I miss and hearing devouring yeah, me too. Me too. too. So it's like the ambition from devouring for you to like go for it, Casey, and learn those songs. Like that's, I just think that yeah. that was a jump for you as well, too. Well, man. I was like, oh, like I'll just go for it. Like fuck it, if I can't do it. But like I. uh I remember being in San Diego, it was like 2004, and I was like, all right, so, like, and I was like showing my friends this album, and, you know, I, I got the CD and Time Begins, and they're all just like, oh my God, dude, that drummer is like, what the hell? And I'm like, yeah. And then, like, I just made the, I was like, gonna move up north, and I was like, yeah, I'll just give it a shot. And I, I just moved up to, to San Francisco, and I hit up Matt, and I was like, hey, man, uh, down to like, just try this shit. Like I'll do, and he was like, "All right, cool, man." Like right on, and he, and he had recorded us with with my band Odious Tim. Yeah. Um. And so, oh yeah, 
we recorded with him like earlier that year in March. And so we did that album. That's what Anthony's referring to. And so, um, yeah, it was basically, I was just like, I'm just going to go for it, dude, and try really hard. And so, and honestly, like the only way I was able to play that stuff was when practicing like three days a week, three hour sessions, <laughs> like just doing it over and over and over. And like, I like kind of mapped the shit out. Like I, I was doing it in a funny way. I was using like power tab editor and I would like use numbers. Like, and I was like doing my own little system of like, and then I kind of got the, like the vibe after, like I figured it out. I was like, Oh, you're just doing like extensions of parts, like threes and fours of like one, two, three. And it's like an extra three or four, you know? So So you actually had, you, you actually put together, you charted that stuff. Well, kind of. Yeah. But not like, like, like literally like how it is played. It was more like charting like a super simplified version of like and also the like the timings more. Not okay. Like exactly the like what you played, you know. But I tried really hard to like like exactly what you did, you know? <laughs> it was dude, it was yeah. that I saw that. I was like, wow, he is nailing all this. Oh, it shit, was, thanks, I was pretty blown away and it was awesome to watch those songs. Um, you know, the songs that I, I, I recorded and then later on heard on the album, but actually watching them breathe and, 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 and be alive because a song you can track all you want. A song isn't really alive unless you play it on a stage and you play it in a live audience. That's where you have something that is actually breathing. It's living and breathing. So to actually see those songs living and breathing and, and being that was pretty cool, man. I was really, it was, I just remember going, holy shit. And, and I know that just had to have been a ton of work because I was listening to this stuff and I'm like, God damn, I, I was even like, I don't even know if I could do this stuff live. And to be honest with you, even to this day, I don't even know if I could do all those songs like live, <laughs> I'm you sure know, you it's, that's, yeah, that's no. so good, man. Good deal, man. That was, yeah. Yeah. It was so fun really back awesome. in those days, man. It was so fun. You came out and like, took a picture I, I was trying to find it but i can't find it but it was maybe i will in a minute but it was like so cool dude i was like so honored and you were like always man so cool like so oh, really dude like you were like a rock star to me but you were just always such like in my mind but you were like just a bro like just like you are now man it's like okay yeah, like, i'm so stoked to have you on i was like dude tim's cool man it's gonna be so fucking dope and when you oh, said yeah. you were available i was like it's gonna fucking rule that's yeah, awesome dude. Yeah, I remember yeah. like seeing you in the backstage and just like being like, "Oh shit, there's fucking Tim Young. Fuck, I need to get my slice of pizza." I'm, I'm like, I, got, I was like I nervous. Need to get my slice <laughs> of pizza. That's, that's what we got. I mean, that's basically what we got paid. <laughs> that was like my payment was like a slice of pizza. But like going back there, I know going back there and just being like, "Oh fuck, Tim Young's back here." Shit, I don't know. I'm like yeah. starstruck. I need to leave. Play faster. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, you go to look for a water bottle they're already gone dude you're like Fuck, you're right, <laughs> yeah, Matt, yeah, matt's like yeah dude it's gonna be a sick show oh also by the way tim young's in the audience and i'm like oh sick dude cool right <laughs> no pressure yeah yeah no pressure, no no pressure. pressure. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta please. no you you nailed it man i just remember this i just remember everything was really solid and really tight and i was just blown away how remarkably like i was like this is like fucking album it's 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 right on. There was no, I don't re- recall any major hiccups or flubs. It was a really well oiled machine. The whole set was just really, wow. really remarkably well, dude, bad. Imagine That's, we we. This is a very honorable moment. Let me just absorb this right now. No, this totally. I want to add to it by <laughs> saying so like not nice. only Thank what you. he's saying is true, but you would. Oh, 
we had toured so many times where you would do an odious set and a decrepit set every fucking night, dude. That's yeah. right. And weren't yeah. you like one tour? Did I see you when you were double duty? We did do double duties. I I, you might have, man. I don't even. There's know. There's been dude. multiple I, double duty situations. I wanted to say though that fucking this, well, like. I'm kind of pulling it back for a second, but you were talking about putting on a show and how you play Tim and stuff. And like, for me, one of the first, like it actually was later that I saw Kalias, but like I saw Roddy doing the conquering tour in 2000, you know, oh, yeah. cannibal corpse. So I, that was yeah. like when I was like 17 and I was just like, Holy shit. Like that blew me away. And then like, you know, I've seen like Kevin Talley with dying fetus back in then and all the stuff. And you know, Tony with Nile back in that time. And then you come along with fucking Vital Remains and like Dave Suzuki. And it was, I saw you at the Galaxy Theater in Santa Ana. And uh, I don't know what mm -hmm. year it was. I don't know exactly what age I was. But dude, that fucking, I was like, the first time I'm going to see Tim Young play live. And it was so fucking badass, dude. Like Glenn Benton right. with the ma and everything. And you fucking, you put on a show. Like your drums were way up all high. And your toms sounded, talking about the small toms. Like I was like, oh, they cut so good that eight inch and the ten. And, like you're doing the oh, shit. Yeah, that might have, oh, dude. That might have been like oh three or oh four. Sounds right. Yeah, it's before I moved back up to the bay or, or moved. Okay, up to did the bay. I have a pearl kit? Yeah, I think it was a pearl. It was like a natural finish kit. I think it was. Yep, that was and, that yeah. was my. Yep, that was uh, a pearl. Um, what the fuck series was that? It was a BLX, I think. Mm -hmm. BRX, something like that. It was a Masters, I think. It was that was a really good kit, and and uh, I pieced that whole thing together on eBay. Now I remember, yeah, I I only toured with that kit in 03 and 04. Oh, 04 I toured, so that was right. 04. That was with Glenn. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was okay. Yeah, that was the year that I moved. Yeah, and oh, so um, that was the year I joined Decrepit. Actually, that's crazy. That in fall, but uh, but yeah, man, dude, uh, it's crazy. You, yeah. you murdered it though. I was, I was gonna just with all the stick twirls and the, the cymbal grabs and all the shit. I was like. Oh, sweet <laughs> like it was like i mean you were perfectly playing vital remains dechristianized shit like i mean already just like a guy who could like not move and play that i'd be like totally impressed but like that was at the you were doing that and they, that came through hair. the pound right that yeah. tour yeah of course yeah. yeah but he was dude he was spinning his sticks twirling his hair playing this, sh this shit and grabbing symbols and just like dude so that that showmanship that you were talking about it translated like huge to me at that. I was like, dude, okay. So like I've seen guys shred, but like Jesus Christ, like, and you're, it was like, like the show of it too. Like your drums were way up on a high thing. It was like, perfect. That's badass. Thank you. Sick. man. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, that was, yeah, I had have been Oh four. I was just trying to think, cause you said it was right when you yeah. joined your crap at birth. So yeah, it was Oh four. When I saw yeah. you play with decrepit birth, uh that had to have been oh five because I, I believe it was yeah yeah yep. i believe I, I had just moved out here yeah that's right so yeah, yeah. yeah i remember seeing yep i remember yeah that was a, a showcase it, it, yeah that what happened dude it was one of the double it was a double duty thing then if it was that yeah. showcase and oh five sure. because yeah, we yeah. didn't do bloodletting until oh seven right or no oh six oh six we did bloodletting so oh five would have been showcase going down south doing like the four dates that we did or whatever and come back home so tim were you like sorry to cut in but tim like yeah. like your style and stuff and your live stage stage presence were you ever considered because you do kind of remind me of like someone that like influenced someone like joey jordison or something like that like 
someone that like influenced like you know do, were you ever considered because i mean he does like the the you know the windmills while he's drumming and stuff like that were you ever considered for slipknot when that... i think tim would be a six slipknot drummer that's what i'm saying he kind of like would be like a natural like a, a thing you know for like a humongous band like that where is that ever an option like it seems I, like it you know what i reached out when um <clears throat> when i knew that they were going to replace joey um i had reached out to two of the band members and then i had like a handful of people reach out to their management because I, I I was like, you know, I, I've been a fan. I really like their, their, their earlier albums, like the first three albums. I, I, I like a lot. And um, so I was like, uh, when, when, when I knew that he was going to be replaced, um, I, I, I extended it out. I was even like, you could literally put a mask on me and you won't even know that anybody was you don't even know he was replaced <laughs> you even you know, got his <laughs> hair you got yeah. his hair from like i know totally yeah. 99 but, and shit yeah yeah that was um it was interesting there was a time where he broke his ankle too and he couldn't tour and that was in like oh nine or whatever and i i was actually trying to fill in for him at that point uh, you know it didn't work out the way you know obviously i didn't get the gig there with, with them but that would have been that would have been fun it would have been fun to do it probably would have been a you know probably a good paying gig as well but um they seem to be doing good now and uh you know unfortunately jo- joey passed this year it's yeah dude, it's pretty yeah, sad. Yeah, dude you know it's kind of a bummer um but uh you know we're, we're all on borrowed time here so i'd say you know do 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 what you what you love to do and what what is important to you and you know i it's it's important to, to, to always remember that that your your time here is is not going to be forever so mm-hmm. it's very valuable and you never get it back so mm-hmm. and uh, everybody eventually gets to that point where they have to reflect on everything you want to look back on that shit and say that shit was fucking rad dude totally yeah that's that's really you know the words of wisdom right there man you gotta totally. go back and, you know there's nothing worse than like for me at least and we all have this we all have a what if you know what i mean like what if i what if you know what i mean but those always kind of suck because you're always stuck with a what if even if you did something and it sucked well at least you tried it and you knew it sucked mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you on that, you know, look back and be like, wow, that was fucking rad or hey, it wasn't fucking rad, but I tried and at least mm-hmm. I know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, man, it's 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 weird. And, and I can't believe that it's been 20 years. We're talking about stuff that I did 20 years ago. I don't even know where all this time went. It just seems like not too long ago. I was in my 20s mm-hmm. and I'm going to be fucking 43 next month. Right. I just <laughs> turned to, and I mean, I'm, I, I, I know it's younger than you, but 37, that's another one where I'm like, damn, dude, yep. it's literally 37 is gnarly. I'm in the middle of the last half. I know, but check me out. That 37 is that age where you're like, dude, I'm (laughs) in the middle of the last half of my 30s, dude. I'm getting up on that big 4-0, dude. Before I know it, it's here. But it's like, dude, I'm still having a fucking blast, you know? And I want to make sure that I'm having a blast every day as much as And Tim looks fucking younger than all of us. Just want to point that out real (laughs) quick. He looks exactly the same, dude. He looks exactly the fucking same, dude. (laughs) What a trip. (laughs) Got me pickled. But no, thank you. I appreciate it. I've uh, I've actually refrained a little over four months from drinking alcohol. So that's been kind of interesting. Wish we we could say the same. (laughs) (laughs) See both you guys with your white claws. And- uh, dude, I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the last one, I was drinking. Yeah. I was drinking uh, these pretty 
dope beers, but they're they just creep up on you. Last one, I I heard myself at the end of it because they were like, "Oh, really? you you <laughs> you're coming a little crazy at the end." So I listened to it and I was like, "Yeah, dude, I was fucking slurring pretty hard at towards the end." What, of it. So I'm like, what are they like an IPA or what? what, what yeah, it? it was a like a hazy double hazy IPA, so it was like eight percent. But they're tall boys. Oh. They're like the pint. So I drink four of those and then I get into these. But that's that's only on the pod, dude. It's only on the pod. Fuck it, man. <laughs> it's only no recorded forever. Yeah, we're the representation of me as a human. I want to make sure that I'm inebriated as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim, how did you get hooked up with uh, Nile and doing the Nile tour? Or how many tours did you end up doing with Nile? You know, I only did one tour with Nile, and um, it was actually a pretty critical tour for me because that was an actual that was that was the actual tour where I had determined that I I, I knew that I was going to move to L.A. Um, but I, I, I Carl got gave me um, Carl called me. He had gotten my number, I think, from Eric or from someone else, some word of mouth, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony couldn't do uh, 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 one of the tours. He was, I think something had happened. Tony was going to help Maloma creation do a tour and he wasn't available for the Nile tour. And uh, the, with the, with, it was a Danzig tour. I think, I think they were just, it was brought to them at last minute. And, and Tony, you know, being, you know, an honorable guy, he agreed to do a tour. And, and we agree, when you agree to do something, your, your word is your bond. So, mm-hmm he had to fulfill his commitment with more on creation and those songs, you know, Tony's a, another incredible player. And it was really, the material was really, it was hard. They couldn't find anybody. I learned, I don't even know how I did. I was listening. I liked Nile. So I knew, I already knew this, the, the songs that I had to learn anyways, but I, I had to learn like 14 songs in seven days. And, and I did it. I learned uh, uh, Carl or, or uh, yeah. So Carl rented a van, drove up to Rochester, New York from Greenville, South Carolina, picked me up and my gear, drove me down. I stayed with him. We rehearsed for a week and then we hit the road and it was like, you know, it was, they were, it was an arena tour, you know? So there were big, big shows, but it was, uh, yeah, that's what happened. I did one and then Tony came back and then I ended up doing vital and I just stayed with vital until that ran its course. And, um, so I was never offered to join Nile or anything. It was just, it was just a fill-in tour. I think at one point he needed me for another tour and I, and I wasn't available. And I think that's when he had found George Mm -hmm. and I think the rest was history there. I I have to praise you again with what you just said. And I have to also praise our homie Gabe Sieber having that, that I'm going to fucking learn 14 songs in seven days and be out to be able to go out on the road after that. It's like an arena tour too. It's not like a, I know, but it's like, I mean, regardless of where it's going to be played, it's all about like being able to fucking get to the point of even performing 14 songs in seven days if you've never played them before it's just so mind-boggling to me you know to learn something like that that quick and be that efficient with it so it's like you guys have this like um it's it's just something to how your brain and body works at the same time because you need the physical fitness to be able to play these songs you know so it's like mind and body but it's also like extra 
you know, to be able to pack all that in, in seven days and then just be like, all right, dude, let's do this. Some of those Loreano songs, especially like he went fucking nuts on that in dark and shines album. So I'm sure that learning that material was a lot of fun as well as being challenging. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was fun to learn because I liked the material and those songs were ripping, but they were there was some challenging stuff, and it was, mm-hmm. yeah, there was you know his stuff. There were yeah his his songs were, were really demanding. Black Seas were demanding. Um, it was really awesome to, to 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 be able to to do that and be involved. And you know, I was really I had the honor of working with some really remarkable artists and bands over the years in my career. And that was a that was a particularly cool highlight. It was a lot of fun, and it was a life changing uh, experience for me overall. I learned a lot. Maybe uh, um, I, I think every gig that you take or every job that you get, or you know, uh, regardless of what field or whatever, there's always something to learn from with a different dynamic. Whether it's working with different people or different uh, environment or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So you know, every I've learned a little bit from each gig i've had and learned a little more about my my playing as well but that was yeah that was a great tour i'm really it's cool to, to, to say i got on there and that literally yeah i mean that was a tour where when i came to la i was like okay i'm moving here you know that was <laughs> that was cool yeah is there a particular tour where like the material was the most difficult like if you had to pick one like you're like that was the hardest to play probably not all right. I would yeah. actually honestly say probably Nile because that that yeah. stuff is like it's all over the place. I mean, you listen to their the way they structure their songs. Mm-hmm. There will be a drum fill to transition to the next part, but the guitars are doing the fill with the drums. So you can't just wing the drum fill. The drum fill is completely locked into the guitar part. So uh, it's kind of yeah. an interesting way that Carl. Uh, does you know the way he writes and stuff that he because every Nile song does this you know there's a lot there's a lot of that in, in Nile material mm-hmm. there's a crazy fill or transition and the guitars and the drums do a crazy long fill into the next transition yeah so you have you, you have explaining that I found I'm like hearing it in my head right now there's that signature Nile roll with the guitar that goes with it and you mm-hmm. yeah it's all everything's on an exact perimeter in yep. that in that fill so those little those little nooks and crannies are essential if you're a little off or one hit off or one hit early it fucks the whole song up very very hard very challenging the morbid angel stuff was really hard too in the beginning because um you know it was you know i, was, I had a lot you know, it was a lot on my like i felt i had a lot to prove so i was really determined to lock it in but um Eventually, those songs, I, I mean, I picked up on those songs pretty quick because I listened to them for a long, long time. You know, it's like I play those songs like, you know, I don't even think that I already just, I just go on autopilot. I mean, you know, I've been playing these. I just, I just feel like you're like the yeah. obvious replacement for Morbid Angel. Like, it's like there is no other drummer that would be more perfect than you after Pete. Like, I don't know. That's it. You know, I think, I, I think there were other guys that I think could have done a great job as well. I think um, I, I definitely I was prepared. I know I, like a lot. I did a lot of interviews and, and a lot of stuff for for press, and mm-hmm. and I got a lot of people asking me like, "Are you are you ready to? You know, did you feel ready to do this? Was it too much?" I'm like, "Why well, is it too much? Well, what's too much? If if that's too much and stress of filling someone that's you know irreplaceable or playing, it's like kind of anything else. You just you're there. You're gonna do what you do." 
and and bring what you you know however you do it it's almost kind of like acting when someone hires an act an actor to play the role of someone they don't think man this is nerve-wracking i have to play abraham lincoln or i have to play 007 like yeah whomever yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. but some people Um, would think about like uh you know the uh, you're filling the shoes so it's like there's the elitist guys that are like, oh, dude, it's fucking, he's not Pete Sandoval, fucking, yeah, all this yeah, thing, you know, like that. But some dudes, not, I'm not saying you specifically, but like a lot of people would let that get in their head if they got the morbid gig, you know? So it's like to hear you say, it's like, uh, dude, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm going to fucking mm-hmm. go do my job. Like, it doesn't, I'm going to bat off the bullshit and just do my Tim Young shit and fucking. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. That that's the fucking mentality that gets you going and gets you continuing getting fucking gigs and and mm-hmm. and jobs, dude. Hundred percent. I mean, it's cool because I, I wanted to keep certain elements and play certain things the way Pete played them, but I also wanted to incorporate how I do things as well without taking away from the things that I like that he did, and then overall the songs. And I did, you know, I did the best I could do as far as you know giving the, the stuff justice i i played obviously i play a little no one plays like pete he's got a really special feel so i think that when i played the songs they were definitely a lot more locked locked into a solid i just was used to playing at a solid time almost to a point where trey and david were both like hey um settle this part down a little bit slow it down in this part or speed this part up the morbid angel stuff is really shifty Mm-hmm. it fluctuates there's no you can't play it to a click it's so that good, was more, yeah i think it was a big challenging thing was learning how to you know how to push certain parts and then how to when to hold back and settle down in certain parts but oh, uh, but it's it, it's cool you know you're factoring uh you're, you're using your creativity I and mean, you're still kind of trying to um honor you know, honor the songs. And, 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 and I tried to honor Pete's playing as well as like, in fact, when we did, when I recorded uh, the song Nevermore for the Illumina album, I actually listened to all like, I don't know, five or six different YouTube clips of Pete playing that song live. And I replicated and mimicked a lot of his fills because mm-hmm. I wanted to do that to just pay tribute and homage to him. And I feel kind of bad. I never really talked to him after like during or after playing Morbid Angel to ever reach out to him. I just, I never did. Um, but I've given him much respect and love through, through interviews and, and what have you. But um, it was pretty remarkable to fill in, uh, fill in for, you know, replace someone that was deemed irreplaceable, you know, totally. but uh, it was, yeah, never did I think, I'm not ready for this. Like, fuck that. I'm, I'm, I'm 200% ready for this. I'll, I'll you know, whatever I got to do, you know? Um, well, yeah. I mean, like I played along to covenant like so many times just to learn how to play extreme metal drums. So like, I guess if, you know, if there was like a band where I could feel like I could already play half the songs in the set, it'd be like more of an angel. So like I can imagine <laughs> feeling a bit ready more than like, some tech death band that's like way more complicated or something. Those are, those songs are just like staples and everyone yeah. has at least tried, tried to play them. So definitely they're, they're, they're yeah. great. There's a lot of meat and potatoes 
you know, mm. there. And when you have to learn material for a band, if you, if you like the material or you know the material, at least, even if you know it, it that's always an advantage. If you're a fan and you listen to it, you definitely have the advantage. Um, yeah. When I played for uh, All That Remains, I never heard All That Remains before. I never knew any of their material. And I had five, five or six days to learn seven or eight songs. And I was learning them on a table. I was tapping on an airplane with my headphones. And yeah, uh, yeah it was, it was cool. It was, um, it was challenging because I never heard the material. And then they're like, yeah, we're going out with Kill Switch and Gage for three and a half weeks. And then we do three and a half weeks in the UK with Dragon Force. Uh, okay, fly me out. And I remember I was, I, I, I didn't have a job. I, I, I had, um, I had a job. I was working at a, uh, I was working at a Craig and Auto Parts, which is O'Reilly now. And I was actually that the, the next morning, the morning I got a phone call, I was staying with this girl and I got into a fight with her. So I went to my friend Kyle's house, Kyle Conkill. He's the bass player for Bad Wolves now. And he's been in a bunch okay. of other. Yeah, I, w- I slept at, on his floor in his bedroom <laughs> at his mom's house in Tahunga. And me and him drank Jack Daniels and just talked about whatever. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I need to just go back home. Like I was still working on Divine Heresy and what was going to be Divine Heresy. And then I got a call that morning and and, and he was there and I was like, I got to go. I got to go quit my job. <laughs> Damn. So I quit my job. I put my two weeks notice in and they were actually cool with me. Um, they were like, you know what? They're like, you're cool, man. Don't worry about it do your thing. You don't even have to do the rest of two weeks. We're on good terms. So I left on good terms. I never wanted to burn a bridge. I always wanted to like, you know, if you're going to bow out of something, just do it honorably, you know, Yep. or help cool. unless it's just absolutely miserable. Like I think I've worked on it a couple of jobs. <laughs> Everybody's had one job, you know, where you're there and then you're there like an hour and it's like, feels like six hours and you're like, man, fuck this. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> damn so all the all the remains though you're so you're saying you had like such a short time to hear like to listen to it and prepare for it were you was there a part where you're like that you i mean you haven't actually played but you're listening to because you're on repetition listening to this stuff constantly getting it down but you haven't actually played on a kit but you're actually like you show up to the fucking first jam and you have to play and you're like yeah i'm not airplane i got i remember this part like Mm-hmm. You didn't actually like fucking like hit the hit hit the fucking kit. You know, you didn't strike a kit. Yeah. You basically yeah. just knew what was going on. You were like, yeah, I know what's mm-hmm. going on here. Like, I'll just go and yeah. play with these guys. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. You, you just, yeah, it's more or less. You got to just know your parts and 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 then you know because physically, I know I know what to do when I get on a kit. So I don't have yeah. to question how I'm going to do it physically. I already know how I'm going to do it physically. Physically, the the main challenge with learning stuff is how am I going to remember it up here you know, mm. to apply what I know how to do here. So that, um, that's a really important thing. And everyone's got a different process. I, I know um, I was talking to KC about the charting earlier, which he's gone, maybe took a pee break, but <laughs> he was saying that he had a char- charted. I would, I would ask him right now. He's, he stepped out. But- oh, no, he, char- he charts a lot of shit, like it, with the odious and stuff, he would chart like drums out and be looking at like a, a chart while he's playing like for you songs that, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I remember him. We talked about that. I was like, that was really weird. And and that's a really common thing with a lot of modern guys or a lot of, uh, I knew a lot of Nashville, like quite a few Nashville session players that would chart everything out. 
And to me, that's weird. I'm like, just, I, I just listen, listen to something and I program it in my head. And what blows my mind is that you guys are splitting your limbs. Okay. And then talking about Casey reading as he's doing these splitting of <laughs> limbs. Yeah. I'm just like, just fucking, I'm, I'm bowing out of this conversation. <laughs> asking as a drummer, you know, but yeah. it's, you know, everyone has a different way of how they learn. I've just learned by memory, just complete memorization. If I didn't get a part, I just rewind it until I get it down. And then when I have that part down, I rewind it like four more times and do it four more times. So I know that I know that part. So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of how I always did charting. I think I tried once or twice. I had no luck. It was way too involving. And, and, uh, and I know it worked for you, Casey, as far as the charting parts, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's pretty cool. I don't know how to do that, but I know a lot of, uh, a lot of guys do the charting. A lot of guys are firm believers on that. Um, I just, yeah, I just memorize, just put it all in this noggin. Hopefully I don't fuck it up on stage. <laughs> but I remember like the first show with all the remains, it was like the, the first show right out of the, right out of the bat was where the hell were we? It was somewhere. It was in East coast. I think it was Boston mass and it's sold out. It's like 800 people, eight, 900 people. I'm like, well, I hope I don't fuck these songs up. So <laughs> yeah. play it. It was good. It was like a couple flubs here and there, but it was pretty, it was all right. We only, I only played, we only had one rehearsal. Uh, actually, no, we didn't. I think, no, maybe me and Ollie, I think, went over the songs. Uh, God rest his soul. He passed away a few uh, years yeah. ago. Yeah. But yeah, we, we worked on, yeah, we worked on this like briefly, just real, real quick, just skimmed over. So yeah, it's uh, learning stuff is, is always, uh, interesting because everyone has a different process on how they memorize or take in you know uh the the the, the memorization process that's really an important part just knowing where everything goes and how many bars this is you know yeah it's funny you mentioned that i'm like learning a set right now for a band i actually will maybe talk about it at the end of the episode but i was like should i put in the effort to like tap this out and and chart it and um, there's definitely parts where I want to like do something that wasn't done on the original part and I'm going mm -hmm. in and, 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 and charting it right now. And it is a lot of time. It like takes mm -hmm. hours to do a single song. Cause it's like extreme tech death, but uh, I don't know for me. And I think it, it was being Casey's student. Like he was the guy who showed me like, yeah, I have all of Antime time begins charted and here's like the diminishing charts. And I was like, okay, that's like doable. So I don't know. Just, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm from that school of thought for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those songs are like, man, the decrepit birth stuff is so involving. And some of this other tech death metal, I'm just like, man, there's like 30 riffs for a song. I'm like, how do you remember 30 riffs? <laughs> the other you thing know? is, is like, I feel like I have enough time to learn a song, but I can't like, I'll get physically exhausted if I try to do it all physically, like playing on the kit. But I have like more like headroom to Gotta think about it spinach, so you know? it's it's when i'm when i'm too tired to play or i can't play but i still want to learn it that's when i'll get on and i'm like this is my way of practicing and getting ready so it like splits up based on convenience or whatever yeah yeah i didn't, didn't eat my spinach too that's yeah <laughs> uh, no, there's all kinds of factors it's <laughs> you know you gotta remember here and then you gotta physically be able to yeah there's just a lot going on with 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 drums but i think any instrument you gotta have 
I mean, there's certain, certain, you know, certain material has a certain demand for certain chops, you know, and you, you just got to condition your body. You know, a lot of people ask, how do I go fast? How do I get fast? That's like a big question for a lot. I still get a lot of uh, messages on Facebook or even Instagram. How do I get fast? How do I just play? If you want to get fast, that's not hard. It's just practice through repetition. You're just conditioning your muscles to do a certain movement. So just hold drumsticks and play single notes all damn day. You'll get fast. <laughs> but I don't really think that's the end result of being a great player, regardless if it's drums or guitars. But I mean, if you want to go fast, just it's just like it's just like working out. And you guys, yeah, you guys get the most cardio. Even at, I mean, you guys get we get the cardio live because you know we get more crazier when it's on in a live setting or whatever. But in the jam space, you guys are still getting just as much cardio as like a live setting. So oh, definitely, you guys benefit from it the most, dude. Almost, I mean, I exert a lot more live than I do in, in practice because practice, I just you know, I'm just practicing. My hair's back. Um, I don't really. You know, oh, not, yeah. So I'm you don't really practice up. the yeah. You may bring up the theatrics like to half. Oh yeah. No, you do yeah. your theatrics, and then like it takes like five days to get locked in. Your neck hurts. Everything fucking hurts. And then your adrenaline is just going when you're on stage. It's a whole different environment than being in a rehearsal space. So when you get on a stage and you have people in front of you and you got lights and all the other crazy fun shit. Um, it just, it really, man, you just, that's where you really. How do you come. not practice like your, your show though? Cause that's like a, like, let's, let's say like a, like a band, like Dillinger escape Plan or, or like a band that's like just going bananas the whole time. Like they're, they're playing their guitar or playing their <laughs> instrument in such a you like, just made me imagine them in the studio just fucking wailing and going crazy I mean, and kicking shit around. around. Like <laughs> Ben Ben yeah, Ben Weidman, whatever. Like that guy looks like climbing things and like jumping down. Like, yeah, like what if he's I, doing it how in you rehearsal not, though? What I feel like how, he's got a I don't know how you don't practice that. I'm, I'm like, cause that's like a cause to hold your instrument in a certain way when you're falling or doing a thing, like mm -hmm. or, or with you like doing a crazy beat while you're fucking windmilling. Like, I feel I like you have to practice that. You do to an extent. I think some of like, for me, like some of the flair that I do in some of the areas where I win or whatever, a lot of it's definitely pre premeditated and where I'm going to do this part. I can do this. I can do that. But you also, a lot of it is just trial and error live. So even like Dillinger, which they're, you know, crazy band, as far as your theatrics on stage, they're all over the place. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Some of the stuff's premeditated where mm -hmm. there are room, there is room in a certain part of a song where you can just, just lash out or do whatever. It's not as crucial, but obviously a really techie part, you might have to stand a little more still. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's probably a little improv and a little premeditated as well. Is there, has there been a time where you decided to like windmill? They're like, oh shit, I fucked up. This is not the oh, place yeah. to windmill. <laughs> certain areas, but I already kind of know certain certain areas. Like if I'm focusing a lot or there's a there's a weird part, I probably shouldn't do the windmill. It's more or less like the the, the one some of the areas that would really throw me off sometimes, or if I were to throw in a stick twirl or throw the stick in the air. Like there's there's a, that like any time where I'm throwing a stick in the air. It's usually really like already know like this is my this is my window to do this and yeah. hopefully I, I mean I catch them like 
80% of the time. You know? <laughs> I was going to say, how many times have you caught it backwards and still played with it upside down for a little bit? Oh, you just, it? you just know where yeah, it's backwards <laughs> and you're like, you just got to flip it back around. And, and some you know, other crazy yeah, hand movement, just real quick, know how to twirl it. Pretty much that. Or sometimes you'll flip it and it'll do this. And, you'll <laughs> and then you just grab another one, you know, and you're like, I'm not catching that one. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. You know, so it's a lot of fun stuff. And, and I never really worry too, too much because I always know I need, as long as I landed on the one, we're good. Totally. Usually a stick flip will be where there's a stopper at the end of a song. So if there's a stop, then I got a couple seconds. Even if I lose that stick, I got room for another one somewhere. Um, How many sticks you got in your, your reserve? When a few, you're like three, I usually get gaff tape or elect, uh, gaff tape or duct tape. And I put, I make loops on my kick drums and I put like, my tech will put like three, like one, two, like three pairs of drumsticks. Yeah. And if I break a stick, I throw it. Yeah. It just gets thrown out. Um, I had this thing on uh, one tour where I was doing this, this, tr this thing where I was hitting the snare really hard and just bouncing the stick <laughs> off of the snare. It was something that I watched uh, Morgan Rose do from seven dust. And I thought it was really cool. Oh yeah. Oh, so nice. I did it a few times, but I ended up losing a lot of drumsticks. And then I ended up kind of short. I'm like, all right, I can't really fuck around unless it's towards the end of the tour. But um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, that kind of, you gotta be mindful. I, I, like when you're mid, like almost the end of the tour and you start running out of sticks and then like, there's, they're, they're kind of worth gold. Totally. It's like, ah, shit, we got to hold on to this or worst case, I got to get, someone to get another pair of sticks or whatever but i remember when i was a, a kid watching uh i was it's probably 2001 or two when unearth was like a brand new band and the, and dude mm -hmm. was spinning his guitar and he was i was like i've never band. seen like someone do that i mean i saw ingway momstein maybe do it but like like before like a, a main part he would spin it and catch like, back when that was like a new thing you know now it's like everyone's trying to do it but uh i was like i was like asking about it he's all don't fucking do it he's all i have like luckily i have a fucking endorsement i've broken like probably 17 guitars doing this. i was gonna say like, i love watching yeah. the fail videos of of like high school band <laughs> kids trying to yeah. do that and just like smashing the headstock on the ground oh, <laughs> so many funny youtube videos of that too. <laughs> yeah. i was like one some dudes playing like a i don't know like an outdoor fair and there's like they're a metal band and he does this, and the guitar just goes. Oh, it goes way over. Yeah, I saw and that. It goes one. flying, and the guy's like, you know, he's got a face. Like, oh my god, his face expression's so awesome. He's so <laughs> bummed. He's like, you see it, like you see it fall in the background too. You see it like bummed. fall yeah, over his. Oh man, <laughs> I got some serious hair, and that sucks, dude, because he can't even like pick it up and play it again. That shit's no, done. he's done. Yeah, that's that yeah, over, that's, it's, it might be that guitar might have been <laughs> fucked, but. That's rhythm section and vocals for the rest of that set, dude. If they want to keep going, dude. Pretty much. I remember seeing Barrier Dead. I we played with Barrier Dead on that All the Remains tour, and they opened up, and they had this one guitar player. I forget the dude's name. He was a really big dude. Like he was pretty, pretty, pretty yoked. Like big, big boy. Um, just like just worked out a lot. You know, pretty jacked kid, like six six foot. But he had. That, that spinning shit to his science he'd do a fucking roundhouse kick and whip the guitar it was the most badass i'd never seen anyone do anything like that he did it so good 
every night he would do it and he'd get a chick. I would always wait for him to do it, you know? And, um, I, I wonder if there was ever like a, uh, what are those, the, the strap, the, what are those called? The, the strap locks or strap locks? Strap locks. Yep. So strap lock. there's yeah. got to be at least one company that literally was like, dude, these guys are throwing too many guitars, dude. We need to come up with that. <laughs> oh, that would be, that would be the company. Be like titanium dude, fucking space like, Mars Rover that, type shit. That would be your advertisement being like, dude, we've never lost a guitar, dude. Our fucking strap locks have never You're lost right. a guitar. <laughs> you know, like, it's not even be- about how they play the guitar. It's about how well it swings around their body, dude. Yeah, when that first started happening, I mean, that was like everyone was trying to do it like in the early 2000s. Like everyone's like, well, they saw it once and they're like, at any kind of break, I need to try to spin the guitar. Like everyone was Has trying this to happen like- to you and it just kicks to the fucking YouTube <laughs> kid that we were talking about. I think if you can pull it off um, you and you make it look badass, it's great. Like actually, um, Nita Strauss is a really good friend of mine. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Her. She's awesome. I've known her yeah. for and I've known her for like you know, 13 years, I think. Long time. But she was practicing it. Iron Maidens, right? Not the kind of Iron Maidens is where she came from, she was, right? Yep. Yeah. But yep, she, yep. And I think she had like a lot of hiccups. I think she should practice outside. I remember we would talk about it because she does it. I think she does it in her, her show with Alice Cooper. Yeah. Alice but Cooper. it was like, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of trial and error in getting that, that uh, yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah you, you, you do unfortunately you do break stuff while you're practicing that that move. it's like ha- have an endorsement if you're gonna do it don't just do it with your guitar that you spent fucking the summer working for like make sure you yeah. have a, a company that'll replace it if that happens you know definitely or, or practice with a piece of shit something that you don't like exactly. you know break it it's not a big deal um <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, it's it's. I mean, they all want to do it because guys like the Dillinger Escape Plan can fucking pull it off and fucking play a sick ass show while they're doing crazy shit like that. And everybody's like, "I want to be that guy, dude." Yeah, definitely. definitely. I think if you pull it off and you and you do it right, it, it can look badass. And I think that's the thing about having a flair or doing or showboating or having some sort of you know you're performing you're on stage getting that down if you get up and you don't have it down you try it you know it 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 sucks i mean it does happen though i mean live shows anything can happen but um yeah it's good to kind of try to get it you know practice it or get it down a little bit more and, and too much can be then it looks lame if you're doing it too much so there's there's always like a fine balance of not overdoing it not underdoing it. Um, yeah, it's like Dragon Force jumping off of trampolines. Is that too much, guys? Or is that fucking still? I thought it was your... great. I thought oh, it was yeah. great girls on the trampolines. <laughs> yeah. Girls that, definitely help. <laughs> there were, yeah, when I did the UK tour, there were girls on trampolines. Oh, okay. That's I don't awesome. remember that. I, I do remember trampolines, but I don't remember girls. So I Tim, I have a that. I have a question for you actually with that, because we're talking about those tricks from like, you know, from forever ago. So we're talking about like, you know, originally, you know, Tommy Lee, stuff like that, tricks, doing cool stuff. Has there been like a new something that you've seen like as a trick, whether it's drums or guitar that you're like, whoa, like, like, is there any more tricks now? Like, I don't there know, are I feel a lot. Like- of tr- yeah, I, I see a lot of the drum chord guys, man. They do some of the shit they do is just unreal. I'm like, wow, that is out of control. But they're, um, 
there i mean a lot, a lot of stuff's tried and true you have like two or three twirls that are pretty common you know you have the la twirl which i do it's like someone says it's like the la fag twirl like whatever everyone does it <laughs> I, I i know that and you know john bonham did that too as yeah. well yeah that twirl there's a twirl with your fingers there's a whole bunch of different ones there's your back flip backwards and then there's the front flip which is really cool. And there's a lot of great guys. There's, there's a lot of players that are just, just so badass and so much fun to watch. I like it. Like I said, it's, it's not always well received in the, um, in the extreme metal world, you know, because you know, it's, uh, it's not brutal or whatever. I don't know, but I don't think, um, I, I don't know. I, I, They probably look at it as like a novelty thing versus sincerity, but there is a sincerity in how you're explaining it and how it is actually important because I'm thinking about how like, and I'm not trying to reduce it to this, but like going to a bar and the bartender doing sick tricks while he's making your drink. It's like humans like the little extra on top of the dope shit. So if you're playing dope shit and then throwing the fucking cherries on top, like, yeah, give me more of the cherries. Or just like the fucking Korean barbecue or like where they're cutting shit up and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't want to like reduce it to like a, like a, a, like a novelty or, a you know, something like that. I mean, to me, like it blows my mind that Tim's even saying there's people that are not down for it. Like, like if you're playing like. Like just Christianized. I've had a three beers and we're at a fucking show. We're gonna fucking be like, oh shit! Look at fucking what he's doing. I'm gonna be talking about you the whole time if you like. Oh, during during fucking Christianized, he did this little thing. I'd be like, dude, he did that that in the middle of the conversation. That would be the conversation. That's where I'm like, I don't know where these kids come from that are like. Fuck that flashy shit! Like, no, nah, dude, I, just fucking keep keep your do it. Do a Neil Pert, never smile. <laughs> no, Neil Pert can do the sick shit while not smiling. There's nothing yeah. more boring than going on, uh, going to watch a band and everyone is a totem pole on stage. Totally. I when I go to watch someone play, when I because I'll watch. I like to lot. I like live shows. I like to watch musicians. I like to watch other musicians. I like to be on stage, but. There's always a fun, like when you said the thing about having a little bit of flair, adding a little pizzazz, there's nothing wrong with having a redeemable skill set and then just adding a little flair and having a little fun, making it a little more interesting and adding a little more to it. But I always was a firm believer for me, like I I always wanted to, like when I get on stage, I always want to give 150%. I want to have a good time. But I, I, I like to apply the flair because I think it's just adding a little more. You're going a little above and beyond than anyone. It doesn't get in the way of you actually playing the song. So why would it matter to anybody other than totally. the dudes that are fucking stoked that you're doing it on top of nailing well, like the I shit? Said, like I said, when I saw it, like like I wasn't expecting it. And it was just like fucking badass. Like I didn't perceive it any other way. Like, right on. And I would be honest if I was like, oh, dude, it fucking blew me away. I thought it was That's sick. That's so good stuff man i'm my, glad to do that a Thank question you. i've been trying to push in here which probably i don't know how important the project was to you but it was the world under blood project with our friend risha and and dude from cky like how did that come I, to fruition darren, darren and i met when i moved here and i met darren he was one of my first friends that i met uh when i moved to la uh i met him one night at, at the rainbow bar and grill and we were talking and he was actually with bam margera that night and we all got hammered and I had Bam prank call like my sisters and a bunch of other people it was hilarious. 
but we had uh, we just we 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 hung out and I told him I played on the first Haiti tournament and he freaked out and he was like, holy shit and blah 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 blah. She's like, dude, get my number, let's hang out, let's let's uh, you know let's 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 get together sometime. I'm like, yeah, I just moved into town, man. I, I'd love to meet him. So we 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 stayed in touch and and we just we 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 we've always got along. Actually, I recently got back in touch with Darren and I just talked to him last week and. Um, there may be talks of us working together in the future. We'll see, you know, I mean, right now uh, would be a good time. And I'd love to work with Darren. I always got along well with him. So the world under blood stuff was just kind of a project. It went together really. Um, those songs went together and came together effortlessly. I can't stress that enough. There was really no overthinking. It, it just flowed out great. Um, and and it, it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, you know, uh, there was some issues with with uh, who mixed and mastered the album. Um, I'm not going to mention his name, but I, I, I don't like him very much because mm -hmm. of that. He took all the anticipate, all the anticipa anticipation for that album was ruined because the mixing and mastering just took forever. Mm -hmm. So uh, that really created a little bit of a some tension between one another. And I didn't talk to Darren for quite a few years. I was also busy working and he was busy with his life. But I, at that point I was like between that and then the record label wanting, they had all these demands and I'm like, you know, I haven't gotten a single red cent from doing any of this. And they wanted me to drive to, you know, wherever their facility is and Marina Del Rey and sign like 800 posters. And I'm like, well, are you paying me? Well, no, you're just, I'm like, well, I'm not doing it for free. Yeah. Like, you know, I can ask for anything, but you want me to like take time out of my day and, and my work schedule to come and do all this. And, and, and there was, there was just no, well, you should do it for, do it for what, you know, that was kind of where, where it kind of got ugly too. And that was a time also where I was, you know, money was kind of a tight, uh, it was really tight for me at that time. So that created mm -hmm. a lot of tension too. I was really mm -hmm. hoping that we were able to get an advance and then maybe do some shows. And the time it took to mix a mastery album, it killed and took all the money, killed the budget. And that's really what, what happened with World Under Blood. So do you think that like, you know, being as ambitious as you are and being open as a session player for all these different projects, like, obviously the more projects you take on the more chances you're taking with certain things like this you know mm -hmm. and being in an underground extreme niche type of music like mm -hmm. that even makes the chances greater for weird shit to happen you know oh absolutely okay. and, and but it's like it, you have to persevere and just move on from certain bad fucking situations that happen in your career. If you're going to keep on pushing yeah. forward, you have to, I've had more heartbreak than I've had success in mm -hmm. my entire career. I've had more letdowns. I've had more sadness than I've had great. I mean, I've had incredible moments too, but there, I mean, in most musicians, it's not uncommon. I'm not the only guy. Oh, that totally. Story. You know, most musicians we've had, more heartache and more letdowns and disappointments than we've had, you know, success and extreme metal is not really a genre that where there's a lot of money. There's no, not. It's, it's all passion. And that's why there's so it much is. heartbreak involved, dude. hundred percent. But it gets tricky when you get to a certain age and you start looking at and evaluating your life and then how much you're bringing in and then maybe what you would want 
And and that's why a lot of guys just kind of cut back and are doing 180, 160 shows a year. They just can't really afford to do it. And nowadays, um, it's tough with the internet because there's even less money now. Um, so I think there there are, but, but there, you know, I am not trying to discourage the younger guys that are out doing it. There are other ways to be lucrative. You have all this social media stuff. There's a lot of money with YouTube and Instagram and all this other stuff. There's online, there's Skype lessons. I think you just have to be a little more resourceful with technology, which that is, I, that is not me. As earlier, I had a call. Casey had to call me and show me how to do this stuff. So it, it, hey, it didn't take that long, though. It was like 10 minutes or so. We yeah, had you up and running. But I, I definitely think, yeah, it gets a little harder as you get older to, to, to rough it out. This is something that you do when you're in your 20s and then when you're in your 30s, hope you're established. But it's always good to have something else that you're involved in to generate revenue. It, you'll enjoy mm -hmm. playing music more and you'll be occupied when you're not playing and when you're not on tour. That's exactly, that's a, that's like what I came to, like coming home from like a, a six week decrepit tour. I'd be like, yeah. I would throw my instrument in my closet and be like, I don't want to see that thing. I was like, so like burnt out on playing. I was like, all right, I just need to like fucking like live my life yeah. a little bit. Like I need to like recoup, like what, cause it's your passion and stuff. And it's what you got like into the whole thing for but like if you mm -hmm. basically finding the balance of like hobby versus like you know what i'm making my money on like i don't want to for me like this is probably going to not resonate with everyone but for me like my passion in a money driven like a uh, environment was not a cohesive thing for me it was like i needed it to be like for me and for fun and not like worrying about money in the middle of you know, the, the passion of playing, like for me, it was like, yeah, when I, when I, when I, when money got involved and started to be like a, the reason why I was doing it or not the reason why I was doing it, but like the reason, uh, basically the way to survive was through mm -hmm. money. Then it, it started to get kind of weird where it was like, well, money's not very good because I'm playing extreme gnarly death metal. Like it's yeah. not like, it's not a, it's not a lucrative environment that I'm in. It changes the totally much. totally and then like i literally would come home and like finally decompress and then i would pick up a guitar or something and start playing again like okay this is like for and learn a like learn a re old rush song like sit in my yeah. room and just learn an old rush song and be like this is so much fun and like get renewed again and not playing you know the same songs over and over and like for and it was like oh how am i going to survive and thinking about going back home and rent and thinking about like uh, girlfriends and stuff like that like it was always like like setting it aside as a hobby like really renewed my love for it is not like it wasn't like my number one i mean i haven't had the success that you've had tim and like and and you've probably seen like way cooler things than i've seen but like as far as like hitting the road as like a fucking blue collar just surviving band just trying to fucking make enough to fucking get enough to pay rent so i don't have to yeah. like go in a dumpster which we did to get food and yeah. like stuff like that you know what i mean like we would do things yeah. like that back in the day just to uh, i'd have a, one time i like came home and paid rent and i had 50 dollars for like three months like left over you know i was like oh, yeah. i gotta you know what i mean like it was like it was the, the, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's grueling man the first tour i did i was like negative 500 dollars. Yeah. i actually was negative of that and you know i remember you know there were some tours i remember we there was a tour i did 
uh, we had no money. Uh, I think it was the Asia tour and we were at a diner and we wanted to eat. We had coffee and someone left and they left their sandwich. So I grabbed their sandwich and I, re- I ate the rest of the goddamn sandwich. I, yep. you know, like, you know, I mean, yeah. it's like you do what you do to survive and you can fall asleep like in uh you know, wherever you just sleep. You can, these are things you do when you're, when you're younger, you're youthful, you're vibrant, you can do these, this type of thing. I mean, you can still do it in your thirties and forties, but generally most people, most human beings, when they get to that, that age, you become a little more salty. You become a little more jaded, a lot of guys, and then you just become a little bit to where you can do it, but it's not enjoyable because you're older and you're like, okay, well, what the fuck? I've been doing this for 20 years now and I'm still doing this. And that, and then when it gets to a point where you're questioning it, then it's like, well, now all the magic's gone. So it's, it's kind of a tough thing. Um, and we've all roughed it out one way or another. I mean, I did DIY tours for nearly a decade in a tour bus with no techs. So, I mean, I, that I magic that you're talking about though, what do you, what do you think that is? Like in the beginning, even though we're fucking losing money, but I have memories of like laughing in aisles of dollar mm-hmm. tree, like the yeah. dollar store on tour where we're like, dude, they have fucking tall boy energy drinks for a dollar, <laughs> dude. We don't I even think- know what the fuck it is, but we're getting these and we're stoked. Cause we got energy drinks for the next couple of days, dude. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to eat granola for fucking three days straight, dude. I ate out of a tub the of best, granola. <laughs> the best was uh, Tim on, on one decrepit tour on our, on one day, we went to McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like three times. We went to <laughs> oh, man. Bro. That's fucking brutal, dude. That's so brutal, dude. Yeah, that's that's way more brutal. <laughs> that, I mean, I, 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 I've done, but just eating McDonald's for a whole day, that's pretty rough. But you know what? Yeah. I mean, I, I did eat someone strange, some stranger sandwich. Yeah. But, and I do remember I had <laughs> Chef Boyardee. We would go and I would eat Chef Boyardee out of the can. Just fucking, uh, not even heat it up. Just fucking cut it open and fucking scoop it out, dude. I did that when I moved to LA uh, for almost eight months. I lived off of Walmart brand SpaghettiOs. Not even Franco-American. Walmart SpaghettiOs out of a can and and chicken breast. And that was what I would eat. I worked at Sports Chalet for a little bit. It's good. That's like the um, uh, ghetto fucking chicken Parmesan, dude. You just do what you do to survive. And I think to answer your question earlier on why is it why is it magical? And where does it go? I think it's the basic, um, you know, the, the, the early new fresh experiences as a human being is, is always magical because it's, it's brand new. You've never experienced it before. It's just kind of like a kid that sees bubbles, you know, yeah, like totally. Wow, and it's part- formative years too, like early twenties. Yeah, I, I think it's just part of being human. And as we get a little older, it requires, and it's not that the magic goes away, but it just requires a little more effort to keep it there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and even if you keep it there, it's never like the first time experiencing it. You know, it, that's always magical, enduring even the roughest scenarios for a first time. It's fresh. So it's yeah. kind of exhilarating because you've never done it. But you do it for a decade and then it's no longer fresh and it's never, it's no longer fun after all. Like, okay. You know, I mean, even even a fun experience after 10 years is like, OK, why are you yeah. everything in like moderation? I, I mean, just as a kid, I was actually talking to my boss today about this. Like, I remember getting like a bag of Doritos and being like stoked on it, like being like, I got a fucking bag of Doritos, mm-hmm. dude, like and sharing it with my friends all want a Dorito. Like everyone wants a Dorito. 
and it's like a dollar bag of Doritos. It, it as mm-hmm. things like happen more and stuff, you get desensitized. Like you it's could have you your didn't favorite have Doritos at home. You know, it's like. Well, it's like one of those things like you could have you could make love to the most beautiful woman. But if you have to do it 10 times a day for fucking 10 years, if you had a cabinet full of Doritos, would you be as stoked on Doritos? Yeah, Yeah. it's just like it's, you know, if you do something in repetition enough, it'll lose flavor. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of the love and the curse of of being a living human. Totally. You know, our experiences after a while you know, it, it, it dissipates. The excitement dissipates after a while. So yeah, those Doritos at one point, at one point were, holy shit. So awesome. If someone gave you a bag of Doritos now, even if they gave you four bags of flavors, I mean, it'd still be fun. Doritos are cool, but it might not be as exciting as when you remember how awesome that one bag of Doritos was. Mm-hmm, totally. That's just like the, our, 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 the human mind, you know, and how we, condition ourselves we want to replicate uh an experience but that experience is in the past it's yeah, never chasing a dragon chasing yeah, the dragon but that dragon that will never find the same dragon we may find a dragon but it's not going to be the same dragon that we're chasing it's mm-hmm. already in the past it was all a uh a gigantic equation of that moment mm-hmm. when you had that bag of doritos and and it'll never be the same because there's n- it's not the complete equation. It's never the same. You can duplicate this. You can always duplicate the first time, but you'll never get the first time experience as a human being. You just, totally. you'll never experience for the first time ever again. So you only experience something once, like it can only be brand new once. And then after that, it just depends on your level of, you know, mental enthusiasm and how special it's going to continue to be. Mm-hmm. Some people get over things really quick. Other people, find what they love and continue it on but it's you know that's just and there's certain things that you really can get very close to that first experience like fucking cynic focus like if i let that shelf just for a little bit dude like i almost Mm -hmm. get to that point you know you're really you you see that translucent last layer that you're trying to fucking bat through the ice at the top of the fucking frozen lake that you're in and you're like oh it's almost there but it you know yeah. It's like a very thin, thin, thin layer of a boundary that you just can't get when you first yeah. had like a band, a song or an album like Focus fucking blow your mind for the first time, you know? Absolutely. There are certain albums that I listen to and to this day, they're still just as relevant as they were. And um, there's like a handful of them. And, and yeah, that's always great. But I also, you know, it's a cool thing about music is, you know, sometimes you can listen to a song and it brings you back to a certain time of your life. It's 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 like it's the quick it's the closest thing we can get to time traveling is is art. Yeah. A mm-hmm. song or a movie or something. You know what I mean? Or so, a smell. A, a, a smell. Sense. Yeah, yeah a smell, smell will bring me back well, old. Even a smell. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Can, like we were just yeah. talking about a certain uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, like some certain thing it was i forgot what the hell it was i'm like i can still taste that whatever it was like some food or something i had yeah. i'm like it's still remember what that tastes like i'll, yeah. like, I'll get into a customer's car because i work on uh, uh cars all day and fucking i'll get into a customer car and i'll be like dude that smells like my sophomore girlfriend's car <laughs> 
like some like combination of smells and it takes me right back to like the fucking grand am that she drove or whatever yeah it's like you know mix of like victoria's secret fucking perfume and and chick funk dude (laughs) and it's crazy yeah a certain scent will jog your memory and put you back into a certain time in your life and and that's that's pretty remarkable pretty badass there's certain things that i'll you know like i I can you know nothing off the top of my head right now but oh yeah oh wait no the you know that fucking what is that corned beef hash stuff Mm -hmm. okay that reminds me of being a kid and my father making it on a Sunday for us. And I always liked it. My mom hated it. And a lot of people still hated it. My ex-girlfriend couldn't stand it. And I didn't eat red meat for like five years. So I didn't have it. And I just started eating red meat again this year. So I think I might start, but I can, I can smell it cooking right now. <laughs> yeah. I can, yeah. I, know it, I, I can yeah. smell it as you're talking about it. Me too. Eggs sunny side up with runny yolk with yeah. salt and pepper on the eggs. Yeah, and pepper in the corn. There was always there was always enough salt in that shit. But yeah, a little dude, that's what it is. I mean, that, I just learned that within the last couple of years. Corned beef. It, everybody's like corned. Corned beef. Corned, actually. corned is actually pertaining to the salt that they use to cure the meat. It's actually yeah, like, like yep. gigantic pieces of salt that are used traditionally. So they, they it's for some reason they use the word corned. How is that different salted from like beef. pastrami? Like how is that different? It's probably similar, but Sim- it's like really salted. like, per, yeah, it's like salted meats, like salted gig- beef, gigantic salted, yeah. kernels beef. of salt or whatever. Kernels, corned. Uh, Tim, well, that's the oldest. Dude, we're, so, we're in such the cornfields right now. We're in. Aren't you? <laughs> uh, Tim, but hold on, like Tim, aren't you into cars? Like you're a little bit. Yeah, I've got ten here. Eleven. You've got ten cars? cars. Yeah, I got. Jesus Christ, dude! I was waiting for like three, Anthony, four, Anthony, five. So no, I don't want to talk work. You guys too just talk cars for <laughs> no, like five minutes. Come on, come on. Come on we got. What, like, what are you into? A what are short you? cars section. Just a short. Okay, all right, let's do it. What What are you into? Um, I'm really, really into, uh, I, I really like a lot of custom car culture stuff. I like a lot of open wheel, late twenties, early thirties, uh, American cars, like roadsters um, and shit. Yeah. I got a chop channel Ford model, a hot rod. I like hot rods. I'm a hot rod. So I'm okay. not, so do you follow like, like builders and shit? Do you follow? Some builders? Yeah. I, okay. I like so some. up near me, I don't know. They've, they've actually been world renowned. I'm, I'm aligning cars that get sent out to Hawaii and fucking, uh, you know, Europe and shit. Eric Clapton gets cars done at this place. It's Roy Brizio street rods. They're in South San Francisco. And, I've heard I've heard of them, but I, dude, it sounds like I mean just by that name it sounds like I think thing. it may be like well everybody says a couple years ago now which means like four years ago, four years ago or five years ago they actually won the 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 best roadster in America. I and guarantee you I've probably seen his cars on Instagram and I didn't know it was his straight shop. up dude. So, so he's th- literally down the street from my shop and I I. I align all his cars. I'm, I make them go straight and I make sure that the tires don't fucking wear. Oh, out, that's dude. awesome. Man. That's really <laughs> so, cool. And in, in turn, it's like, I get to see all these celebrities that want to, because dude, you got to have $150,000 to start a build at mm-hmm. that shop. So, what is he doing? Is he doing like a lot? It's of mainly, it's mainly cars. like 32 road Ford roadsters, um, Bella, like, uh, he, dude, his, 
nomads his fucking 55 nomads are so fucking dope dude oh sweet but it's basically like he does you know a, a what it he does whatever you want really it, it all depends on how much money you got but yeah. you know it's like the baseline stuff he's got he's got a few frames he's starting to work with independent rear suspension on these old fucking cars and shit so i gotta like learn new shit to make these independent rear suspensions work in these fucking cars that totally didn't have independent rear suspension oh yeah no a lot of, a lot of companies right now are making like you know you can take uh you know tci uh there's a lot of other chassis companies that have you can get complete chassis and bolt them onto a 50s era like a tri i love tri-5 chevy's are probably my favorite cars because they can fit in any any sub-genre of build they they do everything really really well. I've got I've actually got an old fifty five. It's a straight axle. It's a gasser. It's an old nostalgic drag car. I Hell really yeah. I love nostalgic drag cars. I like sixties era shit a lot. Late fifties up to late sixties. I think mid I think mid late sixties hot rods look the best. It's just everything like so badass. That's where you had yeah. all the crazy like mag wheels. Thing, thick metal flake paint jobs and That's into the 70s up. too but like i know what you're saying dude like the malibus and the novas and all that shit from and and the mustangs the fucking cougars like i mean cougars basically sitting on the fucking mustang clip but it's it's all yeah there was something with like mm-hmm. art and all that shit going on back then and making cars which is not i mean it's starting to like there's a resurgence now of like trying to bring back the american muscle and all this it's kind of shit. definitely bigger than it's the, the the car hobby is completely different than how it was 20 years ago 20 years ago you had to know how to work on on if you wanted an old car you had to know basic things and you had to have a set of tools now everything is resto modded for anyone listening or if you guys don't know what a resto mod is a resto mod is a car that is modified gone through and restore isn't really where restore is restoring something to what it was but if you're redoing something and then putting new components on it um that's a resto mod so modern brakes modern engine transmission so it basically it drives runs and drives and is reliable like a new car but you have the aesthetics of an old car Mm -hmm. that is the biggest thing right now in the car world and there are a lot of guys that aren't really car guys that have these cars that they have them built. There's guys that'll have a $250,000 resto mod build, like a 68 Camaro or whatever with all modern components. And, and that's really where it's heading right now. That's where the car hobby is. A lot of guys have older cars. You don't really need to have any knowledge how to work on them anymore. If you have something with a newer engine, you can just drive it like a brand new, you know, brand new car. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little different now. I mean, you know, back then you really had to know a lot of stuff where you don't so much now and it's just man it's out of control it's really saturated and um it's it's interesting i don't know where we're gonna go how long it's gonna last well i'll say that i'll say that since i'm in the business you know and i'm seeing all these these roadsters and these hot rods and these different kinds of modifications that you're talking about these backyard boogies that people are doing that come in like fucking buckets (laughs) of bolts and fucking you know, doing it right, but still trying to modernize it. Like I've always been the guy who said, just keep it stock, dude. Like the engineers came up with this car, you know, don't, you don't need to raise your fucking truck six inches, bro. Like 
we have to do so much more to make that uh, kind of like drivable. And well, we realize that. Go to modify something like that, as you know, everything else has to be re-engineered. You can't just change one thing without changing 10 other things. So it's, it, it, that's the trickle, that's the snowball effect, you know, to, to, I guess the same. So, um, you know, depending on what the car is, I think certain vehicles should be preserved. I think if you have a numbers matching documented, you know, car that has the original motor and transmission, I think it's a good vehicle to keep preserved. If you have something that's not, let's you know, or just kind of a project, do whatever you want. Yeah, uh, that's true too, no doubt. But I think really at the end of the day, we're just mere caretakers of all this stuff. So have fun and do whatever it is that you're into. And I, right now, like I said, the rest of mod thing is really crazy. A buddy of mine, um, he's actually going to be at SEMA, uh, which is a big, you know, big car expo in Las Vegas, kind of the equivalent to the NAM show, but it's all car stuff. But uh, he's uh, he he uh, he actually converted a 32 Ford to a fully electronic uh, engine and it looks like a gas powered engine it's in a casing but it's a tesla motor and the thing makes like almost 600 horsepower it's insane the car <laughs> is extremely fast but that's going to be the future um whether we like it or not i think it's cool i mean i still like my gas stuff because i like the elements of gas i like i just i like some characteristics of a gas powered engine but it's kind of neat though. It's going to be like, it, can you imagine having it? And that type of, that type of innovation is, is not what I'm talking about. When I was saying that I was about, you know, lowering and lifting your vehicles, that is yeah. an innovation that I'm actually on board. That's like with. equivalent to like, to doing doubles for like, right. That's mm-hmm. like, that's like this new innovation of drums. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. now become this new thing. Now it's like, now it's the Tesla way to do, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like now this like fast forward kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, well, how can we go faster? It's the same thing I with cars some, or I a lot of things. Nitrous rockets like installed on my Ford escape, dude. Shout out to <laughs> Mike Gilbert. I don't know what model he has, but uh, he recently came in for rotation and alignment. And uh, he's got a Tesla, but he's got the one that's got like the sport package. And we went to yeah. a, a back street behind the shop and went for, and, and I was driving and we went, he was like, bring it to a stop and then just fucking floor it, dude. And you don't, when you're in a Tesla, you don't hear anything. You don't hear <laughs> the motor. There's nothing like, it's yeah. just like get in and go type deal. And, and it threw, it gave me fucking like whiplash, dude. And as I'm, oh, yeah. I'm driving, <laughs> like I'm driving the vehicle. So I'm like, Oh shit, dude, I got to slow down immediately after that happened. He's like, nah, dude, fucking did you floor it? And I'm like, ah, oh, I, I actually don't think I did. She's like, do it again, dude. <laughs> and we, it's fucking- no, the, the electronics are the, the, res- the response is nuts. Like, so you've driven one too. Yeah. I've driven, yeah, a buddy of mine had a Tesla S and he put it in like ludicrous tune or That's whatever. What it is. It was better, insane. Yeah. It, you're like zero to 60 in under three seconds. It's, it's like is, two I mean, point I, something, yeah. Yeah, I know that electronic engines are going to surpass the gas-powered engines at some point. Which they um, should, I mean. And, they should. Yeah, and, and it's cool, but I like my gas-powered stuff. And there's so many different variables with the car world. I mean, you have your lifting and lowering. Those are different worlds, and there's always there's always different innovative things. I mean, 20 years ago, air ride wasn't nearly as common as it is right now. 
Mm-hmm. So air ride is, is very, it's like the standard. If you have something that you want to, you know, sit down on the ground, yeah. um, that's the new age hydraulics. Now it's just air ride. Yeah. I've had li- like a lot of AccuAir stuff. It's cool. The problem is, is like, no matter how nice it is, I've had $8,000, $9,000 air ride setups. I'm always dicking with it. I can't just enjoy the car. I'm always messing with the air ride. So <laughs> to be honest with you, I like static drop, no air ride. Um, I do actually, I, I'm probably the next car I'm going to build for myself will probably be something that has four doors and back seats in it, or, or at least back seats. And it'll probably be on, you know, bags. Nice. You know, but I've got a bunch of other stuff. Mainly my shit's just old, old hot rods. And I got a couple muscle cars and those are fun too. I've, I've just, I've had so many muscle cars and I just kind of got bored. My first car was a 72 Chevelle, dude. And my dad gave me way too much car, dude. Those are great. I got a 400. It was a 350 stroked out to 400 and it was just way too much for me, dude. Like you, it would, it, I would have to purposefully not hit the pedal or I would just, it would break loose on taking off from a stop sign, dude. I, I would have killed to have, that was your first car. My first fucking car. That's awesome. dude. You know, my first car was a 1980 Pontiac Grand Prix with, uh, I had a wooden bumper on the back of it. I know, dude, bumper. I'm a spoiled kid, dude. It was, <laughs> it was like a great deal that my, my, my dad's buddy was getting rid of it. And he was like, my dad owned the business and shit. And so he's just like, fuck yeah, dude, I'm going to get my first car. Like, like murder your car. It was, I had a Saturn SL2. <laughs> I, I had a Dodge Voyager purple van, dude. So beat that. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, um, I, 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 I can, I, I know what that vehicle looks like in my head. Dude, Joseph, all, now I we got to so hear yours. Dude, what's your, hey, Joseph, what's your, what was your first, what's your first car? Vehicle? I had a, I had a Volvo that my dad's friend, like, sold to me like through my dad and uh on you know like 41st avenue uh yeah yeah i like it like it would take like if you went too fast it would overheat so like i was tired of like being the dumb slow guy like wait everyone but waiting behind him so i just started trying to you know move normal speed and the engine died on it and i like pulled over on like 38th and just walked home and i just left it <laughs> never saw it again so. you just left it <laughs> i was just like yeah dad that car you're you, your friend sold me sucks like <laughs> no i probably did it. see it i'm exaggerating i do remember walking home and just being like come on dude like this, this isn't working like you're gonna have to get a real car if, if you're oh, gonna get one you can't just yeah but uh oh, the so just, so and then i ended up with another volvo after that by the way yeah. so nice. just a, so, so tim, ra- wrapping it to like wrapping it all up tim like so what's so iron morbid is that, is that still like the is there what, what are the plans for iron morbid like what's is there any Obviously, you can't say probably what's going on, but like, is no, there plans? I'm, I'm, sh- I'm happy to share anything with, with you guys and anyone oh, yeah. that's watching or listening. Um, I am morbid right now. We're, we're just having a little bit of uh, touring complications right now um, as far as all the our, our market is in Europe. Mm-hmm. And in Europe, it's, um, you know, every country is a little different how they do stuff. There are... Um, you know, not not everybody in I am morbid is on the same wavelengths as far as the shot. So um, mm-hmm. that's also uh, a little bit of a challenge. Uh, so I think that what we're going to try to do is we're going to we're going to definitely try to do some stuff in the U.S. Um, I know, David, it's really hard because we just can't get our number in the States and we don't have 
the the um, the as much appeal as we do in Europe. It's it's, it's a much bigger market for you know extreme metal in Europe. So that we're, we're that's why we're always there. I like to tour the states, but it's really hard for us to make it to where it financially makes sense. And we all have you know I am morbid is not a cash cow for any of us. We all have other revenue in other areas, but you know, we can't do five weeks for free. You know, there, everyone has bills. Some of us have mortgages. I have a mortgage and, and it's, you know, Bill has a mortgage. Um, David had a mortgage. I think he, he just, um, you know, him and his wife are ex- expanding. So I think they're, they're having another house, but the, you know, their overheads pretty high too. So everyone has, you know, adult lives with bills. So it just has to make sense. And the main thing that's really hard is, the transportation right now. So we're going to try to do that. A lot of bands and, uh, you know, a lot of States right now are, are, are open and back to normal California and New York and certain other States are, are having challenges with, um, with, you know, getting, getting people in office to open things back up. So it's not hard to tour in the States. I mean, not, not probably not, at, you know, not that much in California, maybe New York, but other States are open. We'll, we'll, we'll do those as well. So next year we're going to try to do that. And then eventually yeah, Europe and hopefully we're talking about Russia. So, and then maybe an EP. I don't know. There's been a lot nice. of talk about the nice. EP. if we do an EP. Um, I, I really want it to be, um, I really want it to be kind of nineties era sounding. I don't Fuck want yeah. it. To do. So, that's another challenge finding someone that can that can do that and then you know us getting together and writing stuff will be hard so but uh yeah we'll see what happens i just we have kelly mclaughlin from he was uh, in a band pessimist he's playing for us now and i just did his new album the new pessimist album so that's kind of cool yeah that'll be out next year um looking forward to that he's asking if i were to do festivals it's kind of hard maybe i'll do festivals we'll see it's just it's really tricky you know, when it comes down to it, because there's a lot of expenses that mm. go with that. getting somewhere, having people help, you know, text. There's not a whole shit ton of money, you know, for extreme metal. So we're going to have to figure out how to do it. Mm. Plane tickets and all that stuff, like all the costs that go into that. It's pretty fucking extraneous. Yeah, to, dude, so to fucking go out and support your fucking underground metal, guys. You know, if there's a show yeah. coming through, even if, if just go out and have some fun, dude. You just know you're 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 supporting some real shit that's trying to fucking yep. stay afloat and just and and keep up the fucking fight dude, and keep working and doing yeah. their craft and, and, and if you if you if you got you know like if, if you have a good job and you're into this kind of stuff like buy the merch you know like yeah it, it goes up. a long way like for mm-hmm. the bands you know you know absolutely does yeah just support i mean we've been scra- everybody's been scraping along this far and we're still yeah. plenty of extreme music going on but i'm just saying it's like you got something that you like make sure that you're supporting those guys because those guys are fucking we're all grueling you know and a lot of people are grueling harder you know yeah so just fucking get out there and get to the shows dude yeah absolutely there are no shows if no one shows up so right it's up yep. to you get to the shows buy your merch fucking buy your beers so yeah and, and you know right now there's been some challenging uh things with with covid too some people are sure still kind of scared about things and 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 they may be precautious and I'd say do whatever, whatever you got to do to make yourself feel comfortable or safe. Use it at your own discretion. 
I'd say at this point, I mean, a lot of us, I don't know about you guys, I, I'm ready to, to get out and have some fun. Totally. I, I, I got a taste of it already, dude, and I loved it, dude. I went to a small show with fucking Joseph and Joel, and I yep. just saw Finally Vomit in fucking Vegas, dude. And it, when you're there, dude, it, you, you're just reminded of, like, it's a sanctuary to be yeah especially how much time has been off it's been we've been off so like mm -hmm. i've been actually seeing you know some of the bigger bands come through and they're like sold out because like people are so like hungry they yeah. want to fucking like a, a show that probably wouldn't normally be sold out would be sold out because like people yeah. want you know they're they're hungry it's cool to like buy those tickets like worst case scenario you don't go but like you're showing the promoters like it's worth it for these people to come here and like you're you're, you're showing them like Hey, if another fucking package comes through, we'll pay for it and we will fucking support them coming through. And, you know, even just buying a ticket, just if you're up in the air, I would say just buy it. Just, you know, you're helping out a, a big. I, I, agree. I yeah. definitely heartily agree. And that is the one thing yeah. that we're, where we all come together and we all unite and celebrate the, uh, uh, you know, uh, a particular event that we or something that we love or enjoy music, live music. Or, or even like you know sporting events too, or 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 car shows or what have you. All these things are are important to to get out and enjoy music. I really miss live music and seeing live shows, and I'm glad to see that there are bands out and and people are really. I, I've I say uh, the attendance at any show right now is pretty good and pretty healthy, and I'm I'm happy to see. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to see that. I really, am. I'm happy. People to see are thirsty, everything. thirsty for yeah, fucking music. Life. Yeah. Totally. That's awesome. Fuck yeah. Totally. Really? Well, Tim, you've given us a lot of your time. I really appreciate it, man. I fucking well, obviously yeah, you've, dude, you've, you've so really badass, like in, influenced like fucking yeah, Casey dude. was like literally like one of my favorite musicians in the world looks up to you. You know what I mean? So awesome. I mean, it's well, it's literally like I couldn't believe that you actually fucking actually were going to come on here. I was like, oh, fuck. Dude, awesome. This is so dude, I have a, a younger brother who he's not as involved in death metal as he used to be. But when I told him, hey, Tim Young's coming on this week, he was like, wait, what? Like, it's <laughs> oh, awesome, man. Well, maybe so that's a name that stuck yeah. with a dude who isn't even in the scene but anymore. I mean, really, Tim, you, know? you, you really deserve it, man. Like you oh, are no, a totally. legend. Like man. you're such a nice dude. You're so humble and like awesome. But like you, you deserve that, dude. Like you are a Thank legend, you. man. Like Thank that's for really respected in the scene. Lot. And when, when like people dude. are like fucking really talented and they're fucking cool. Like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly. to me like a the the whole patterns, patterns, like. Dude. Just like Derek like, Roddy and just like all you guys, dude. Yeah, you meet someone well, we like have, that you've looked up to your whole life and they fucking suck or something. You know what I mean? Like they're like yeah. assholes or something. You, you guys know are I mean? like the nicest guys. And I know George is the same way. And I, I just I'm yeah. saying like you guys, the the Mount Rushmore of death metal drummers would be you, Kalias, and Roddy. You know, I mean, we'd have to deal with the four. There's four. Kevin there's Tally? four though. Would you say four. Kevin Tally? Casey or Cole Ross? Dude. Cole Ross. What Cole Ross? Is there? Well, I mean, well, there's like there's like different eras though. <laughs> About 90s eras i'll do like, cole ross on the that, floor that's like 90s like pete and cole ross i'll do also. cole ross on the floor hey kevin tally you want to come on cali death podcast changeover no i'm just saying <laughs> they're all awesome. yeah get kevin. i haven't talked to kevin in years yeah. i think he I, I heard he had a kid i saw he had a kid on social media i think he's no dude, kevin was cool every time i've talked to him he's badass. been super awesome too like i yeah. I, I love all the drummers that have been on this he show. did the first we had, decrepit we had a good demo, drummers the dude the decrepit birth demo he did the first decrepit birth demo by the way he did he did yeah to bring it all yeah, back that's yeah. something actually something that i was like i you know how you go through these things and you're like 
Ah, oh, I can't. Okay, now it's he was too far. so good in Dying Fetus. That was the thing. So good in Dying Fetus. I know, but what the the, yeah, the fact I was going to bring up the SOD it. thing, seeing the unique leader compilation, then yeah. hearing Kevin Talley, then hearing fucking Tim take it up to fucking eleven, you know, <laughs> with Prelude, and you're just like, fuck, dude. Okay, <laughs> yeah. All right, super stoked. Well, well thanks, man. I, I, and you know, I, I want to thank you guys so much for having me on here. Um, it was just, this was a really fun night. Um, I, I really like doing this. I'd love to do it again. And, oh, yeah. uh, well, let's just definitely, let's, you know, we'll keep in touch. You guys have my social media and, and whatnot. Um, I'll buzz you later, Casey or whatever. Let's catch up during the week. Thanks again. Dude, and, for sure. We have yeah. part twos all the time, dude. And for sure you are always welcome to come on again, dude. I would love to do this for another fucking, what have we been doing? Two, two and a half, three hours? Right, three. Dude, two and a half hours. Right, three. three. Had fun. I hope it wasn't too boring. No, no dude. No. I, dude, it was not boring at all, right, man. Dude, dude for your first podcast, by the way, I want to say for your first podcast, Jesus Christ, you're fucking, you're, you're, like, you you're kept natural. things going. It's like, like your dude. first album, dude. You just murdered <laughs> I know. It's like, it's, it's, you're conquering the throne. Like, you literally, like, fucking. Conquering. Him just awesome, conquers man. every throne he, like, you know. Yeah, there was, you at, murdered it, man. At it no like point, doing at it the no whole point time. did I feel like, oh, shit, where do we go with this? Because you got it, dude. That yeah, was so fun, dude. With the Q&A, man. It was really fun. It was awesome to catch up and talk, shop about everything and cover, man. It did, it, this, this flew by these past two and a half hours, so I had a great time. Hell yeah, like, dude. Too. Let's do one more. Let's do a minute ra- uh, wrap-up post-pod real quick, but thank you guys so much. And I didn't mean to cut you off while I was, you know, whatever. I'm just trying <laughs> to wrap this shit. I don't know what to do now. Okay. I love you guys. I love everybody. Everybody who's involved in this, all you new people. I love you all. I fucking, my heart goes out to you for fucking being with us every single week. Um, I'm having a great time. And uh, if you haven't subscribed, hit it up. And if you want to know when this is coming out, it comes out various times. Hit that bell, fucking all the buttons. All the socials, Tim, your social, if you want to give it out anywhere, you could get merch. People could buy your merch wherever. Uh, I don't have any merch available, but sometimes I have some cool stuff on my Instagram, Tim Young 999, or you can find me on Facebook as well as the Tim Young fan page. Uh, give it a like if you can like the, the fan page. That would be awesome, actually. Um, and then my personal page is kind of whatever. I think I'm booked up with. I got like a shit ton of friend requests, so. But uh, say hey, dude, what's up, whenever, and and uh, hopefully I'll see some of you guys out there and I get back on the road when we get uh, back on track, hopefully, and uh, at some point, at least back on track enough to tour. So <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, Hell yeah. Well, we'll see you out there for sure, dude. I know you're going to be out there. All right. Love you guys. Thank you to the resident homies, Joel, Joseph, and Casey, putting up with me every single week. We'll see you guys <laughs> next week. Uh, we got some sick shit going. Have a great weekend. Love you guys.